you're about to listen to another great show on the Four Eyed Radio Network. To listen to other shows just like this, go to foureyedradio.com. Like our show, Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast. Where we talk everything and anything about Pokemon. Learn something new. Like, did you know that every Pokemon card is misprinted on the back? The ball centerpiece opens on the wrong side. <laughs> what? I'm going to have to check that out. But yeah, you can learn stuff like that, which I just learned right now. Wallop and web snappers. My spider sense is tingling. 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 Anybody else's spider sense tingling? Welcome to Wallop and Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast where we dive into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. We're Derek. And we're Doug. And is an alien symbiote taking over your body? Yes. Yes. To listen to this show, find us on foureyedradio.com and wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by Revenge Lover Designs, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. Speaking of revenge and lovers, <laughs> and lovers. <laughs> hmm, we have a, a, a fun episode all about like the best lovered scorn of uh, Spider-Man the Animated Series. <laughs> mm, yes, yes. yes. Very true. This uh, this episode will likely get weird at more than one point. Mm-hmm. Yep. Honestly, I'm happy to... We've got a lot to talk about, so we can kind of dive right into yeah, it, really. Yeah, three episodes. Yep. And they're all, they're all together. They're all, mm-hmm. you know, it's, this is the first, the first, like, real actual multi-parter in the yeah. show. And it's a, I mean, it's an interesting one, because this is, the, this is the alien costume saga we're talking about. Probably Yay! Tell that in the title of the episode. But yeah, I mean, these are the ones that are, like, everybody's favorite episodes. They're the ones that everybody remembers. Was this, like, your first introduction to venom and stuff like that doug like had you read any of the comics or anything by like this point in the show if you can remember i feel pretty confident saying that this would have been my first exposure to venom because i don't think that the spider-man comics i was reading had venom in them because i have since read lots of venom stuff and i would have remembered it because a lot of it's like weird super violent or like oddly (laughs) sexual like (laughs) and uh i just feel like i would have remembered that and i don't (laughs) yeah Yeah, actually yeah i don't i don't it took me a long time before I think I read actual Venom comics. I think probably for that same reason, because so much of the Venom catalog is like very edgy. Um, yeah, for and, lack of a better word. So. And for a long time, it was short, like bursts, like five issue arcs, and that's like weird to keep track of and and whatnot. So <laughs> it's just yeah. like purely Venom stuff is is sort of weird to keep track of. The stuff that happened in the Spider-Man comics, I didn't have my hands on. Yeah, it's it's weird, like, thinking back to Venom as a character and, like, my uh, attraction to him <laughs> that I didn't really understand for a long time because it's one of those things where, like, Venom was super hyper-popular in the 90s, right? Yep. Like, so everybody, like, technically liked him. So I kind of, like, was just kind of definitely part of that wave. I discovered him on the show. When I got access to, like, the internet, I would Google lots of Venom stuff. Yeah. And had lots of Venom merchandise. It was really, like, in high school for me that my Venom fandom, like, exploded. Which is probably the same for most people when you go through your kind of edgy high schooler phase. Because Venom fits right into that. But I had, you know, I had my, like... 
I'm, I'm thinking back to a very specific image of my MySpace profile, um, <laughs> which uh, we're recording this like right after I think news broke of like MySpace having deleted like years worth of data. Um, oh, yeah. Not <laughs> a bad thing. That. I'm cool with <laughs> Thank that. Thank you, MySpace. <laughs> and everybody breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I already... I, I very recently saved some pictures from my MySpace, like, related to this podcast, actually. But, uh, yeah, I have a very vivid memory of my MySpace profile at one point. I was, like, 15 or 16, and I was in my, like, black Spider-Man, white spider shirt that I had, mm-hmm. just, like, looking solemnly at the camera or whatever, trying to do some, like, emo pose. And... Of course, as one does on MySpace. <laughs> does. And you remember on MySpace when you could have, like, a quote at the top yeah. of your page? Yeah. So... There's a lot of stuff in the Venom comics where he's, like, talking about innocence and, like, I would never harm the innocent. And there's one quote where he says, I was innocent once. I really like that (laughs) quote as as an edgy 16-year-old, and I put that on my MySpace profile uh, kept it there for a long time it's only in retrospect that i realized a teenager saying i was innocent once um <laughs> not great mm, yeah i mean i was listening to britney spears earlier today so my mind just immediately goes to that and uh, weird association <laughs> yeah i'm also thinking of i had these venom boxers that i was like super proud of they were really uh-huh. comfortable and it just had like a really like cool image of venom on them and there's also was a picture on my myspace of just me uh as like a 16 maybe 17 year old at that point um i had a spider-man t-shirt on and i was just in my venom boxers and like superhero pose (laughs) so not only did i have i was innocent once on my myspace i also was pictured in my boxers so total like predator trap i guess as a a teenager (laughs) oh Oh, boy the the internet maybe was innocent once i'm not sure (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe we were just naive who knows Maybe. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, so <laughs> I really like Venom a lot, and I don't think I really understood what... Kind of like when we were on the Doc Ock episode, where I was just like, I didn't really understand like why I liked him. I just knew that I did. Yeah. Um, and I think getting older, <laughs> there's so many different like implications based on how Venom is like presented, right? And yeah. so there's definitely like the fandom that's emerged from like the recent Venom movie to be like 100% like horny for Venom. Like I feel like I was that like for a lot of my life without realizing it. <laughs> and and I did like kind of. I backed away from, like, the Venom fandom for a certain point. Like, when I was in college, I think specifically, because he's, like, really popular, there was a lot of contrarian opinions to that as well. So there's a lot of people who are like, oh, no, Venom's actually really boring, and he's not, like, <laughs> really, he's not that interesting, and he's just overhyped. Like, he's just, like, Wolverine. So I was like, oh, actually, yeah, I guess so. I guess I don't really like him that much. Which, because I just, like, follow the crowd or whatever, I guess. But um, I did eventually, like, was just like, no, you know what? I'm, I'm, I was actually, like, horny for Venom for real. And he's awesome. He actually is a really interesting character and like the whole all the stories of the symbiotes are really interesting so i don't know there's a lot there's a lot of stuff that you could mine from the character and like the symbiote storyline in a way that you can't do with a lot of other spider-man characters just because of like how weird it all is and how different all the interpretations can be yeah it's interesting that you bring up the sort of overhyped versus appropriately hyped versus under like the whole hype aspect of it mm-hmm. because it i think i don't know if you and i have talked about this before i think we have where like i 
thought Venom was cool, but I was never, like, quote, into Venom. I I feel like Venom is so many people's favorite villain just, like, Mm -hmm. ever. Because he's just, like, super cool or super badass or super (laughs) whatever. Whatever it was. I don't know. And I thought he was cool on the show. And I'm thinking that maybe my first exposure actually was probably, like, a Street Fighter versus Marvel game, if that predated. Oh, or, like, Marvel versus Capcom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That's it. I don't know if there was one of those that predated these episodes. But if there was, that definitely would have been it. Because I remember playing that. And I thought he was super cool from that standpoint but it really really wasn't until i was reading the comics that i felt like i got venom enough to really appreciate and be like no actually like you were saying he is a cool sort of multi-dimensional character that you can examine a bunch of different ways prior to that i just was sort of like yeah i guess venom's cool like he's he's cool right he's like strong and he's kind of gross <laughs> but but it, yeah it really wasn't until like probably very very recently being in the past like five to ten years <laughs> Like, as a full-grown adult that I really sort of got Venom outside of just, like, he's scary. Yeah. Well, I think part of part of it, too, is that, like, a lot of the, the quote-unquote, like, culture around Venom for a long time, I think, was almost kind of co-opted by, like, edgelord culture a little bit. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, it's fair. Like, they wrote to, to be, like, very, to make Venom very edgy and, and, like, oh, this is, like, we don't, this, is, this isn't your normal hero. He's a lethal protector. Like, they wrote towards that, but... Um, there's a lot of stuff throughout all of Venom's history that isn't very edgy. Like, it's kind of goofy in a really, like, cool and kind of lovable way. And I think, like, we're seeing a little bit of, of a, like, a Venom resurgence, I feel like, with fans. Um, I think there's a lot of... I'm sure we have, like, a lot of thoughts on the movie that came out. But I feel yep. like one of the... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think one of the reasons that it hit home for people so much was that I don't think people realized that, like, oh, wow, Venom is kind of goofy and, like, really lovable and really gay and I'm really into this. And I think, like, that surprise, uh, I, I think, like, is is what made that movie popular and gets such a... warrants so much more of a fan base than I think anyone expected. It isn't because the movie is, like, particularly good. I think most people would agree that like, it's not a great movie maybe some thought it was better than they expected but like there's a lot of problems with the movie i don't think it's not great but the stuff that i like about it that a lot of other people like about it i think is that they really embraced this kind of weirdly like lovey-dovey kind of aspect of venom that the edge like kind of looking at it as from like an edgy point of view you would never see well i think a lot of that probably isn't exclusive to venom so much as it's a product of when venom was introduced and and what fit in perfectly to culture and comics and the types of transformations that were happening to you know existing characters and the types of characters that were being introduced or popularized at the time and being taken seriously and now i think the way we look at things is so much more ironic or um sarcastic or or you know, limiting in how hyper serious we take things that we are forced to kind of find new dimensions to these characters if they're going to survive. Kind of like, um, almost like Cable and Deadpool, like the movies. Mm. Um, I don't really know anything about Cable, but I have to imagine Cable was just like a cool, serious character in the comics at some point. But in the, in the movie, he's, he's serious in a way that's kind of played for laughs as a juxtaposition to Deadpool. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm sure he's not a character that was popularly made fun of. And I'm not saying Venom is, but I think there's just so much more humor <laughs> being found in in the type of character Venom is and was and 
and and whatnot that probably is a result of you know 2019 versus 1980 whatever mm-hmm. that's interesting yeah it's fun like going back to the older the classic venom comics because the, the thing that i that i really love about venom like when he's at his best when he's written at his best and kind of how he is in the movie and a little bit how he is in the show too is the fact that he can turn from legitimately terrifying and monstrous and like gross and like scary and then just like turn to like goofy and lovable and funny like on a dime you know you can have like like the comics would have him like bashing like black cat's face into like the pavement and destroying (laughs) it and like eating people but then also like be like swinging around seeing strangers in the night like at the same time so and i i kind of love that that dichotomy and i think when he's done best and i think what a lot of other people like about him is is the fact that you can that you can pull off like that dichotomy without it feeling like a weird tonal shift. That yeah. was the thing that I think the Venom movie one of the things that it did do really well was that like it would change tones on a dime and it was a way that like it was kind of weird but it also kind of worked cuz it made it really like weird and fun. I think it's a it's a it's an irreverent thread where the the sort of extreme violence of Venom and grossness of Venom is irreverent and so is the kind of humor that it gets paired with. So you might have something that's extremely goofy next to something extremely violent, but the fact that that goofiness and that violence both say, like, we don't give a shit is sort of what (laughs) pairs it well together, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah. Well, there's always been a link between, like, horror and comedy, right? A lot of comedians have really dark views and have had really dark lives, and you have people like Jordan Peele who can go so easily from comedy into horror oh my gosh Um, yeah like and i think like venom it it kind of plays into that a bit because there's a lot of comedy to be mined into the horror of what venom is like whether you're focusing on like the cannibalistic aspect or you're focusing on like what he looks like or the fact that it's an alien like parasite that's taking over people like regardless of of what aspect you focus on there's there's like really interesting cross between that horror and like the kind of fun comedy that you can mine from it it's very weird but it's really cool when it's done well yeah no i i i definitely agree so (laughs) you did mention the movie a couple times in that (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if you have any sort of overarching thoughts you want to get out of the way or if we should save that or how do i don't you just watched it i think (laughs) <laughs> for the first time right for the first time. yeah so... and i just rewatched it because i know that you just watched it <laughs> yeah i i put it off for a long time like i'd heard plenty of things that i knew that i wouldn't like love it as a movie as a as a piece of cinema i knew that from the beginning and i always knew that i was going to have weird feelings about it because there were people that i really liked involved in it there were things that were they were doing that i re- knew i would really like but i also knew like just being what it is being kind of like this kind of sony cash grab that isn't related to spider-man all that Mm -hmm. stuff like i knew that it couldn't possibly be a quote-unquote good movie but i was hoping it would be kind of fun um and i'd heard plenty of things from from people online about how gay it is and stuff like that and (laughs) and that's that's fair and i'd watched and i'd watched a bunch of clips when i did my spider-man 3 video too to put that in so like i pretty much knew all the moments that i figured that i would love yeah Um, it really was just seeing the whole cohesive thing and in the end it was it was whatever like it was it was a movie it wasn't it wasn't like horribly bad because it it is really fun like that's legitimate i guess like from like 
a film analyst point of view. I think there's a lot of like writing problems. I think it was really obvious that there's a lot of deleted scenes from the second act that and make it voiceover in. work. A lot of weird voiceover work. <laughs> there's I think my biggest issue with the movie is probably that I really love the thread of Venom is like really evil, just evil incarnate, wants to kill everything, wants to destroy the world, and then like seeing the world through Eddie's eyes like changes him or, or it, I guess, like changes it to want to like be part of the world and like be with eddie except we don't really actually see that we just kind of jumps from that from like one thing to the other yeah Um, i don't love eddie in the venom movie and i don't love the way that they are supposed to be linked or reliant on each other for the reasons that they're linked and reliant on each other Mm -hmm. in the venom movie they basically say like you're gonna die without each other and that's why you have to stay together not because (laughs) there's any sort of like bonding or fear or emotional connection like they touch on that a little bit but they basically say like oh by the way eddie like your heart's gonna stop you know yeah it's not like an addiction it's no your heart's literally gonna stop if you don't like hook back up with this thing oh and by the way venom symbiote like you'll run out of oxygen if you don't have a host (laughs) so i don't know it just it takes away some of that like addiction and obsession and depending on like what scope you look through like Mm -hmm. love or eroticism (laughs) you know yeah and again they're 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 planning on making more of those, so we'll see. We'll yeah. see where it goes. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that I think, like, depending on how you play the symbiote and you play its relationship with Eddie or any host, really. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of really cool metaphors that you can pull. Like, there's a lot. There's the whole like love and boyfriend metaphor that I'm I'm down with, and I play a lot. I I I like to play with a lot, but. I think there's also a really valid, like, codependency uh, metaphor and, like, an abusive narcissist kind of metaphor in there. Um, And I think, like, you can play all of those sides really well. I know the comics right now are kind of playing that side, and people are real mad about it if you, like, ship Eddie in the symbiote, which, again, I totally can get behind, but... It's also a valid story to present it as not a good relationship because it's not really. Right. Um, but I think the movie's problem is that like it tries to kind of have its cake and eat it too because it has it has that kind of codependency. But then it also like you're the emotional through line of that movie. I guess the emotional through line is technically Eddie and like Anne or whatever, but that doesn't really matter. The real emotional through line <laughs> people actually care about is like Eddie and his relationship with the symbiote and like them growing and like finding love together. But well, um, when even- you kind of throw in that. Oh, when you ahead. when you read the comics, like whether because I, I know that there are probably people listening to this who are just like uh, either like yes queening us or cringing us or, like cringing at us right now. But whether you whether you ship it or don't ship it, whether you think it's erotic or not, whether you think it's love or not, whether you think it's codependency or not, when you read the comics, there's a very frequent at at the very 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 least there is much much evidence to say like they're at least affectionate towards one each other they care about each other by the time you get into certain arcs or certain portrayals of the character like they defend each other you know what i mean so there's an emotional connection there Mm -hmm. and what you want to chalk that up to is like totally anybody's prerogative but like I, i i would find it really hard to have anybody deny that there's some sort of like emotional link there um that i just felt like really isn't in the movie yet (laughs) yeah 
Well, even, I mean, in the comics, like, the original comics, this isn't any kind of, like, retconning or anything. In the original ones, when Peter, I think it's the first time he faces off with Venom and and defeats him, he he does it by stripping down, like, to his underwear to be like, come take me back. You see his thought bubble. He explicitly says, like, the symbiote is still in love with me. He in love (laughs) is in quotes, but it explicitly says in love with me. Like, it doesn't necessarily have to be, like, love in the same way that we as humans define it. But the metaphor is, like, very explicit. It's barely a metaphor. Um, yeah. It's, it's always there in the comic. It's just, yeah, it just depends on how strongly it's presented and how positively or neg- negatively it's presented. And I think the movie just kind of muddies that line because it doesn't really take a side one way or another. But it doesn't do it in such a way that, like, it feels like it's com- complex. It just feels like it doesn't really know what the relationship is. Right. It's not that they didn't take a side because they made it complicated and open to interpretation because it could be lots of things. They just didn't take a side because they didn't make it many things at all. <laughs> if that, yeah. I don't know if that's kind of how you feel, but that's sort of what it felt like to me where it was like, yes. eh, okay, sure, whatever. Yes. I agree but. with that. And I think like to tie it into what we're going to be talking about today, I yeah. think that it's, I think that one of the one of the things that stands out to me that I I didn't really like pick up on until watching that movie really is how much how important it is to see like how the, how the symbiote itself independently is presented because there's certain interpretations that you hear the symbiote's inner monologue you hear its thoughts you see it take independent action there's other cases where like in Spider-Man three and in, to an extent in this show and in a lot of the video games too where the symbiote they'll say it's sentient and it might have a couple of things about how it's sentient but for the most part it's just kind of behaving almost animalistically where yeah. it's just like responding like defensively or trying to survive or whatever and you don't really you don't hear it have like thoughts and stuff like that um and the comics have also kind of wavered back and forth between that and i think that makes a really big difference because like you see in this show it's not really taking a side over like what the symbiote is but we also never really hear the symbiote's point of view necessarily there's like one little one little like monologue that it has that we'll get to later that's very clearly supposed to be the symbiote's point of view but for the most part it's almost just treated like like an animal like a parasite even though they say it's sentient so it's it's really interesting how that kind of affects it and you know the movie we get its point of view but its point of view kind of wavers without us really being able to see its journey we don't get to see its journey from like learning to love eddie or love earth or whatever well and it's its point of view is limited to when it is occupying a host yeah when it is not actively occupying a host it it goes back to sort of an animalistic thing so it's really really tough to to determine exactly how much of a perspective or point of view it has when when it's so limited and and when we get to see it yep yep I am, I'm not going to spoil it, but I'll just say I'm excited for you to see how the spectacular Spider-Man does the symbiote because I, it's really interesting comparing this, comparing it to the animated series that we're doing today to the movie because I think it has a really cool kind of fun take on it. That's I mean, that's a really good point, actually. And, and just like, if, if if we haven't said it clearly enough to this point, like there's so many different ways that symbiotes are handled in general, not even just the Venom one. There, what was it, like 2003, I think there was a comic, like a Venom comic, where we get no perspective of the symbiote at all. It's all other characters reacting in a, in a very John Carpenter's The Thing type of way <laughs> to Venom as a monster. So like... We're not even going to cover most of the the things we could cover with Venom. <laughs> These just happen to be the ones that we watched right now and 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 relate easily to to uh, one another. Yep. So we're we're not covering at all because someone's someone out there is like deep cutting from you know something, and I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I know, the animated show. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a general overview. Yeah. But that's what also makes Venom cool, is because you can have very vastly different takes on him. Um, and the symbiote and the whole mythology that are all totally valid. Yeah. Um, and that, that could still like work within the mythology, just depending on your perspective. Yeah. So. Lots of different continuities. Yeah. So you want to, let's get into, I guess, get into the actual, like this version of Venom in the animated series in the nineties. The first time he was ever, uh, presented outside of the comics. Yeah. I guess, well, I guess video game technically first, the first time he was ever on TV, we should say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Th- we could say that safely. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So if you haven't guessed, we're doing the alien costume three-parter of Spider-Man the Animated Series. Got a few little, like, just general bits of trivia. Obviously, this is a three-parter, so they're kind of like one kind of one big movie, but also not really. But they were written with the intention of, of being a multi-parter. I've got a, a few quotes from interviews with some of the writers. Um, Stan Berkowitz, who uh, wrote on, I think, the first episode, the first part, um, he says that uh, that it was kind of complicated writing the entire saga. He says, everybody, producers, network, writers, artists, they all had a different conception of the Venom story. It took a half day long meeting with everyone, Avi, Stan, the network rep, uh, the supervising producer, Rob Richardson, John, and me, Stan Berkowitz, before a storyline could be settled upon. And that was just for the first half hour of the three-parter. Um, Which is so, wild yeah. because it doesn't <laughs> feel like that. I don't think. It really doesn't. It do, it's it's sort of like Night of the Lizard, where when we heard about all like the behind-the-scenes strife that they had, you'd expect it to be a big mess, and it's really not. These are very good episodes of the show. Like yeah. They live up to the hype. Yeah, they, they make plenty of sense. It doesn't feel like things were forced into them or that there were compromises necessarily made outside of the fact that it's a kid's show. Right, exactly. And the other the other quote, there's a, I'll have a, another one from him later, but um, it's just a general quote from John Semper's story editor that we've cited many times. Um, so the Venom saga was originally actually just going to be a two-parter. Part one would just be Peter with a black suit. Part two would be Venom with the whole Hitchcockian strangers on a train style homage, which we do end up getting. And it was in fact written that way originally, but then Semper saw that like so many fans were asking for the black suit. And I'm sure there's probably lots <laughs> of pressure from the, the, the network or Marvel or whoever too, because Venom was hugely popular in the nineties. Yep. <laughs> I think the Lethal Protector series came out in 93. So literally like a a year before the show came out so oh wow yeah I, i'm I, I think i got my math right on that no i but, think you're right i didn't even think of that yeah so this was like literally the height of venom's popularity that's why you see him in the opening credits too like they wanted to make sure people knew like hey that guy you like that has never been in any cartoon he will be in this cartoon yep um <laughs> in the very first season you won't even have to wait <laughs> yep barely at all so yeah so that's because of that he figured this is a quote from him he felt like he hadn't milked the venom franchise for all it was worth so <laughs> kind of a cynical way to think about it but hey so he pitched the idea of making it a three-parter rush the writing of the second part in the middle of these two already written scripts which i figured they are they had rewrites and stuff too to wake them work together but even still semper says those were hectic times i don't envy <laughs> those people writing working in the writing room at the time i imagine Imagine that writing any sort of comic book adaptation, especially with every year that passes, every decade that passes, I just imagine it's got to get harder and harder. Oh, yeah, especially nowadays when oh my gosh. there's so much pressure. One thing that is interesting to think about, I think, when we think about... <laughs> I said, like, think about, like, five times. Um, think about it. Think, think about. <laughs> but I think that's interesting. I think, like, we've talked a lot about the behind-the-scenes stuff on the show and how kind of chaotic it was. It's also kind of crazy that, like, we haven't said this, but John Semper is is an African-American, which is very rare 
to be running a a like headlining huge uh like superhero show at this point like even nowadays it's mostly white guys like running their big properties and he was hired after another guy was fired in his place (laughs) so it's kind of amazing that like even in spite of all of this we still get these really great episodes coming out of it and this really great show coming out of it yeah just so many voices (laughs) so many voices (laughs) too many cooks (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so yeah, so we can just jump right into it. So we, um, these episodes that we're going to be talking about, if you want to follow along with us, as usual, they are available on Amazon Prime, iTunes, and this one is one of the rare ones that ended up on a DVD. This is on the Spider-Man The Venom Saga DVD. I think you can still find this at Walmart. Like, I think it's still out there. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. They were like big sellers at the time, I think. So our episode synopsis from IMDb, which we will uh, will discuss further, um, <laughs> says John Jameson, Jameson's son, finds a strange black liquid while collecting a rock called Prometheum X on the moon. The black liquid finds its way to Spider-Man, giving him a new black suit, and the Kingpin sends Rhino after the Prometheum X. If you noticed an error in there, don't worry, we'll get to it. Before we do that, though, this uh, episode originally aired on April 29th, 1995. We're still in that very first year of the show. Um, The story is credited to Avi Arad and Stan Lee, unsurprisingly. And the teleplay was written by Len Wein. Wein? Wayne? Do you know? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. The teleplay was written by Len Wayne, Meg McLaughlin, Stan Berkowitz, and John Semper. And uh, (laughs) these are good folks. They did good stuff. Yep. So I got a whole whole big group of people credited on this episode. So Meg McLaughlin, she's a regular writer on the show. She's written a ton of episodes. She's written for Transformers, Captain Planet, Incredible Hulk, Clifford, The Big Red Dog, and Kim Possible as well, which I love. The other one that we haven't heard is is a very big comics heavy hitter, uh, Len Wein, Ween, wine, whatever it is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Unsure. <laughs> well, regardless of how we don't know how to pronounce his name, he is a very big deal. He <laughs> co-created Wolverine, Swamp Thing, Nightcrawler, Storm, Colossus, and the Human Target. Oh my god. Wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> I that list was incredibly impressive until I don't know who I don't know who the human target is. Oh, he had a he had a show on Fox for a little while. He's a, he's a guy. He's Who not is this? I mean, he's not like an A lister. My <laughs> I, I, my understanding he like just he has, runs an agency that disguises himself as famous people that might die and then investigates oh. who their killer is because he has like lots of skills, okay. So. Well, I mean, Wolverine, Swamp Thing, Nightcrawler, Storm, and Colossus sure impressed me. I will have to do my research on Human Target. I probably shouldn't have ended that on Human Target. <laughs> no, I think it worked perfectly. Um, he's also He was also an editor on Watchmen. Um, he was a longtime writer on Justice League, uh, but also many, many, many other titles. Those are just some of the highlights. He's also like credited as being essentially responsible for reviving X-Men like in general after they were on a half decade hiatus back in the 70s um, when they didn't know what to do with him. Um, so again, obviously you can see he created Wolverine, Wolverine and Storm and Colossus. So big deal, very big deal. Um, he's also written pretty substantially in TV. He's written for multiple Ben 10 episodes um, and series, I should say. Um, he's another one that wrote, wrote for that RoboCop Alpha Commando <laughs> show. Um, we'll have to do eventually like a special Patreon episode where we watch that show. <laughs> I guess so. There's so many writers are on it. Keeps and, coming up. And Beast Machines, which is, this is maybe the second time that we've had yeah. a writer 
second or third time we've had a writer on beast machines yeah along with batman the animated series x-men iron man incredible hulk and avengers united they stand hmm. the only weird thing about him is that so i remember i said in, in the first episode that john semper can be very forthright about his experience on the show in some yep. interviews um, especially interviews that take took place like right after the show ended. Um, this is one of them. <laughs> so I'm just going to quote him. He says, Len Wein wrote the first draft, delivered it very late, almost got me fired because of his tardiness. And then we ended up throwing it out and starting from scratch. Oh, nothing of Len Wein is left in that episode except his credit. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Which is a not great for like a big heavy hitter like that. Do we really that... think it's like a hundred percent was so, scrapped? So that's my thing is that there's other places that are unsourced like wikis that don't have sources to them like marvel wiki and spider-man animated wiki both of them say that he did contribute to part one and those contributions are there and it was actually part three a draft that he doesn't have a credit on that was the one that was rejected so Hmm, i don't know yeah and and honestly like john semper kind of has a chip on his shoulder in in some earlier interviews like from back in the show (laughs) understandably because they put him through hell is from what what it sounds like and i think like more recent ones he more recent ones he's kind of chilled out a little bit this is one of those that were taken from like the year 2000 so yeah so i I don't know how much to trust that yeah i don't know how much to trust that either way he did something with these scripts one way or another (laughs) so i'm sure that some part of him is involved in this and he's a good comics writer in his own right so it doesn't really matter anyway (laughs) i mean i i'm just like astounded at how much that that he's done which you know we're realizing is a common theme with this 90s animated series like it's no wonder when people our age say did you watch the spider-man cartoon this is the one i mean Mm -hmm. with so many people with all of their accomplishments i mean it's no wonder that they put out a product that was (laughs) at the very least very memorable and at the very best some of the best superhero television in animated form that we've seen absolutely and knowing that knowing from what we'd said in the last episode that like stan lee did actually do a lot of rewrites on the show yeah so when he's credited that apparently means that he did like substantial rewrites and additions and that's just it's just so crazy like there's such a great pedigree to this show that mm-hmm. you don't even really like realize until you're looking into it it's, so it's really the perfect word for it yeah um a piece of trivia here that i i didn't know but i'm i'm happy to learn it is that the uh, newscaster in this episode which is notable because the newscaster is actually in a lot of this episode um, Mm -hmm. is voiced by John Beard a real life LA based newscaster on Fox at the time that the show was airing who appears in numerous episodes and he most famously played himself in a recurring role on Arrested Development which is pretty neat yeah yeah it's pretty cool he seems like a cool guy he was really funny on Arrested Development actually (laughs) (laughs) so so he played himself on he would Arrested basically, Development. Anytime that they needed like news reports of what was going oh, on in the world of the show, he okay. would be doing it. Because the show took place in LA too, so it made sense. Gotcha. It wasn't just like he was like some guy like at the co- like a regular at the coffee shop who right. just was also a newscaster. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> it's like uh I think I think Perd ha- is it Perd Happily mm-hmm. on um Parks, Parks and Recreation. And Rec- I th- I think he was an actual newscaster at some point because he plays newscasters that. on like everything. Oh, that's that's great. That makes it even better. that makes yeah. it even better. <laughs> or I'm just thinking he's an actual newscaster because it's like all he does. <laughs> like nine 90% of his credits are just like newscaster. 
Who knows? <laughs> yeah. We also get a couple characters introduced in this episode that we will see later. John Jameson, aforementioned in the uh, in the synopsis, is portrayed by Michael Horton, um, who's done a couple things that I, I recognize and something that I don't. So he was uh, Rick Jones in the 1982 Incredible Hulk TV series, as well as Chip Chase in the 1984 The Transformers TV series. And he played, I believe, two different characters in two different Star Trek movies um first contact and insurrection which i haven't seen either of (laughs) first contact's good insurrections eh. i've heard good (laughs) things about first contact so eventually i'll watch that one and then just because i i'm fascinated by this this is one thing i've never heard of but need to know more about he was in some show called laser tag academy Is it, I mean, is it like a reality show? Is it just a drama (laughs) about laser tag? I think it was probably a cartoon in the 90s, but like just like of that sort of expected nature. But I would like to believe that it was a very serious scripted drama. (laughs) That's what I would like to choose to believe. Um, but yeah, he, so. he apparently provided additional voices in all 13 of those episodes because there were only 13 of them. And I just feel like mentioning it because Laser Tag Academy might be the coolest name for a TV show ever. Yeah. I'm I into can imagine, it. I can imagine all of the heavy uh, storylines they could have in that show. Yeah. How do I enroll? <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> the other character we get, this blows my mind. So Rhino. I know. Right? Okay. Right? Okay. Okay. So Rhino. Our favorite Rhino, uh, he's portrayed by Don Stark. Might not recognize his name at first. He was also in Star Trek First Contact. Kind of weird. Yeah, just a um, weird coincidence. His big role was Don Pinciotti, Donna's dad on that 70s show. <laughs> Which what? blew my mind even <laughs> as I was staring at his picture on I his can't... IMDb. I pulled up his IMDb because I was like, I don't know this guy's name, I don't think. And then I pulled up his page and I was looking straight at his face and was like, I I guess I recognize this guy. And then I saw that credit and was like, oh my gosh, it's Bob. (laughs) You imagine him with the perm and then it's like, yes. But even I was watching the episode again after reading this, I can't, I can't hear him say, no, I can't. You know, even when when voice actors are really good and like put on a voice, like you can still kind of hear like their affect or like their tone or something. Yeah. I cannot. I it does. I, I yeah. it's like blue screen. Like I can't. I can't <laughs> figure it out. <laughs> well, and I don't think that he did. I don't think he's done like a ton of voice work either. It's not like insert you know prolific voice actor here who does like tons of voices, but all differently. You know, like it's it's mind boggling. Yeah, <laughs> I had no idea. Man, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm impressed because yeah, uh, I guess we can jump into the episode then because those are the only two episodes, the only two characters that are really introduced in this one um, out of the three parter. Yeah, um, again, this is episode eight of Spider-Man: The Animated Series, the alien costume, but this is just part one, and we will get to the next parts afterwards. Yeah, yeah. So we already can tell that the episode is going to be like big and different because it opens in space. Space. Um, <laughs> it opens on not the moon, like the uh, description says. Um, it actually opens on an asteroid. Um, you can tell it's an asteroid. I only know this. They don't explicitly, explicitly say it. I only know this because I made it a point to like rewind to the beginning and watch it. Um, mm-hmm. You can see the moon in the background, and there's also like some meteors kind of coming down behind it. So I guess it's a whole like meteor shower. So it might not even be an asteroid. I don't know. It's a space rock in space. Um, I, I I went back and I've I've now watched the. First 
first like four minutes of this episode probably a dozen times because of this <laughs> and they do say asteroid like once okay well like okay. one time fair <laughs> but there's a lot of moon imagery later in these episodes that makes it very confusing but yeah. anyway <laughs> i digress <laughs> anyway oh boy wow we're, we're like all, 45 minutes into recording in <laughs> very beginning of the first episode so anyway <laughs> this is a big deal so we start on an asteroid uh where colonel john jameson is extracting an obsidian like rock from the surface uh the rock begins to bleed which is like <laughs> that's a creepy way to describe yeah. it yeah but uh it's very it's true it's a really great line actually mm-hmm. but uh it starts bleeding and the asteroid's surface becomes wave-like very uh, confusing nearly, <laughs> very confusing don't really they don't really explain like what's happening on the asteroid here but uh either way uh bad stuff is happening and nearly nearly consumes john's launch pad yeah almost doesn't make it out yeah very very strange but he does um and all of this is being sort of telecast because this is a a huge deal they've landed you know on this asteroid they're they're extracting all kinds of you know alien elements and by all kinds i mean one um so we see this (laughs) back at the at the bugle uh jameson robbie and peter are watching this news coverage um, of the astronauts returning from space um, which highlights this discovery of the of that obsidian like substance and they call it promethium x and we'll see this you know throughout this these three episodes um or maybe just the first two i don't really remember but they describe it as uh more powerful than plutonium which grabs the attention of one kingpin and alistair Smythe. sinisterly <laughs> sinisterly yes they watch a lot they watch on sinisterly <laughs> Yeah, so the shuttle's preparing to re-enter the atmosphere, but then the black sus- substance begins to ooze from the Prometheum X while it's on the ship. It, it becomes kind of a horror movie from this point, because it attacks the astronauts, yeah. um, <laughs> starting to like envelop them, which is it's it's so creepy, but it, it's really well done. So the shuttle's forced to land on the George Washington Bridge, um, where coincidentally, Eddie Brock, who obviously we know is going to be an important character in this, yep. he is stuck in a traffic jam, should also like add that before they even say that it's going to land on the George Washington Bridge, the only reason that its trajectory is near New York is because it's going to be the, uh, quote, first space shuttle to land in a commercial airport which why (laughs) i i don't know i don't know apparently new york city is just really really craving a a rocket launch industry uh, of some kind we (laughs) saw that they were researching rockets um in facilities they're landing rockets at their airports later in the episode we'll see them launch a rocket new york is really feeling like florida's got a monopoly on this and they want in Yep. I also love like when the newscaster is talking about all this stuff before before we even know that the shuttle is going to land. He's just talking about the Prometheum X and he's like, I don't remember the whole line, but he's like, will this be a, you know, a, a great new thing for, for humanity or will it be a planetary time bomb? Yeah. Like, damn, you're really like editorializing there, huh, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know who this guy thinks he is. <laughs> <laughs> He's like fear mongering. Maybe he works for Fox News. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so we we saw that this grabbed the attention of Kingpin and Alistair Smythe. So as this shuttle is sort of crash land, not sort of crash landing, just straight up crash landing on this bridge, Kingpin makes a call to Rhino, basically saying, I need you to go retrieve that element from the shuttle and i cracked up at this <laughs> because everyone's watching this shuttle crash on the news and kingpin calls up rhino and rhino's like what shuttle 
<laughs> which is really like a total throwaway thing and like it's so easy to to pay no attention to but rhino is so frequently sort of painted as this like dim-witted dull sort of yeah. idiot character that it's like perfect <laughs> yeah like, i love too that the rhino is just thrown into this like we get yeah. no explanation of who he is it's just this dude in a rhino costume yeah um, which a rhino costume, which by the way, makes him basically naked. Like we yes. see his toes. We see every, like, there's a lot of that in these episodes, but <laughs> the rhino Straight up just a naked drawing. Like yes. it's when you, when you, it, when you look at characters like Rhino and eventually Venom, the people drawing this cartoon were straight up just drawing naked bodies. He really, he really were. <laughs> now I haven't, one issue that I have that's consistent. It's not too bad with Rhino in this one. I guess I guess it was Bob Richardson, but whoever was like drawing them, like he draws these naked bodies. Their butts don't always look great, though. Like their he, butts are like armor plates. Yeah, sometimes from some angles the butts are drawn really well, but other times they're almost like Hank Hill butts, where they're like really weirdly flat. Yeah, which really like bums me out because like, come on, man. <laughs> like, uh... <laughs> also these are naked bodies. <laughs> like, right. It's so weird. <laughs> like I like. Hey, I'm not trying to deprive anybody of their you know naked looking superheroes. Yeah, but like fabric doesn't work that way (laughs) it's i mean i feel like you know when you look back and it's like oh wow i think maybe some of my tastes were informed by this i feel like as much (laughs) as i don't like the sculpted like hard ab bodies at all the idea of like just like really gigantic naked like dumb anger guys running around yeah that definitely does something definitely does something for me so these episodes are within my uh, within my scope uh anyway (laughs) (laughs) so so rhino gets that call and we we see that that is a thing that happens um we also see that the uh the bugle team basically say like all right we got to get to that shuttle because again this is jameson's son so he's sort of like freaking out um, that the shuttle is crash landing. So the bugle team heads that way. Um, Peter basically says, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spider suit up and go that way. And the rhino rhino makes his way uh, over there. So they all kind of get there at the same, well, almost the same time. Yeah. Just staggered enough for there to be a misunderstanding. Yep. I love I love the little bit when James is watching some of this stuff on TV and you just get a quick little shot of him crossing his fingers. It's, it's really small, but it's like one of those little acting choices that it, yeah. it's really, really good, really subtle. It's a human being. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I like this. I mean, having having his son being involved in this really does help to humanize him a yeah, bit. Yeah, for sure. So the shuttle crashes and Spider-Man gets there in time to basically like retrieve the astronauts. They're still inside the shuttle. Um, but he does realize uh, when he gets there that that uh, he's not the first person to get there because the door has been ripped off. Um, he realizes that Rhino has beat him there um, and a scuffle ensues. He's never seen Rhino before um, and Rhino sort of like is on track to kick his butt. But before he can do that, Kingpin basically says like, if you've got the, the Prometheum X, like get out of there and bring it to me. So the fight doesn't go much further than uh, who is this guy? You're kicking my butt. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, yep. And, and in the meantime, uh, Eddie is there and he ends up taking a picture of Rhino. Mm-hmm. There's also a really, apparently I've had it wrong this whole time. I always just assumed that Eddie was a photographer in this show, but he has like a, a line where he pulls his camera out and is like, if Parker can click this, I guess I can. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh. <laughs> So he wasn't a photographer the whole time. He was an actual reporter, which, I mean, it checks out, I guess. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's still a weird, kind of a weird line. But <laughs> how how, not, how old is Eddie supposed to be in this cartoon? Is he supposed to be the same age as Peter? I always assume that he's way older than Peter. That's kind of how I read it. But it's hard to tell because everyone yeah. is drawn to look like they're th- like 35 in this. True, film. true. Whether they are 22 
two or 50. <laughs> yeah. I guess I, I always just figured from like Eddie's kind of jaded attitude right from the start. I just assumed that he was, he was younger, but then again, like he's also supposed to be kind of a roided out dude. Yeah. So, and, and uh, you know, you can look a little older just based on that. So I don't know. True. True. Um, one thing that, uh, we must mention, cause it will be important is that as Rhino is fleeing, Spider-Man does manage to get a spider tracer on him in between his strangely wedged, like, calf muscles. Um, but it's there. <laughs> it's there. So uh, that is important to remember. There's a spider tracer on Rhino. Spider-Man kind of investigates a noise from inside the shuttle. You hear kind of a loud banging. They don't really establish what that is, but we can kind of assume what it is afterwards. Yeah. He goes in. He comes back out, and Jameson, uh, J. Jonah Jameson, has has arrived, um, sees his son mumbling about a black ooze and about Spider-Man. And, of course, Eddie kind of capitalizes on this by being like, hey, mentioned Spider-Man, I saw Spider-Man stealing something from the shuttle. So he's able to use that to kind of score his job back at the Bugle, because that's Jameson's kind of weak spot uh, is for Spider-Man. Yep. So, especially when Spider-Man is allegedly doing something bad. Yes. So the, the, <laughs> the saga of Eddie trying to get a job continues. <laughs> yeah yeah and i know at this point like the shuttle does end up falling into the hudson which is another case of a big like bit of technology after the spider slayer another like giant like <laughs> expensive piece of technology <laughs> falling into the hudson and just being like all right well it's there forever i guess <laughs> i do really like this sort of <laughs> this sort of established canon that once something falls into the river like it's lost forever like there is no way we'll ever find the spider slayers down there the shuttles down there at one point we thought spider-man was down there and was a lost cause like once it hits the water, it's gone. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> That's this universe. Yes, it is. <laughs> I guess on that note, uh, Spider-Man does end up in the Hudson as well because he was in the shuttle at the time. He washes up on the riverbanks with what he says, and I quote, rich, thick, and creamy ooze <laughs> on his suit. I know. It's so like gross. grossed out listening to it. <laughs> this episode has really great sound effects when it deals with the symbiote too because Ugh. it's like that like kind of sound like (laughs) (laughs) yes that sound (laughs) yeah so he does try to immediately try to track rhino but uh the signal is lost uh we see pretty quickly that it's because rhino is in the kingpin's lair which is blocked to spider-man's spider tracers i want to praise that like i don't want to like dive deep into it but we have praised the little things and the one to two line explanations they write in to this series and i really feel like this tracer thing is is good he he pops the tracer Mm -hmm. on rhino pretty inconspicuously and then he tries to trace it and he can't because rhino makes his way to kingpin's lair i don't know that's good world building in very little time it is. And I love that we still, the Spider-Man has no idea who the Kingpin is or that the Kingpin is even involved yes. in anything that has happened for multiple episodes. Yes. And I don't even, I don't remember when he finds out. So it might be a long time before he even knows that Wilson Fisk and Kingpin are the same person. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about that too. I was like, I don't know. He definitely doesn't know about Kingpin or who Kingpin is or whatever, but mm-hmm. I also c- can't remember how long it takes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's a, it's a good bit of writing. Yeah. But yeah, so they have the Prometheum X now. Uh, Alistair wants to study it, but Kingpin oh, Kingpin already has a buyer lined up. <laughs> I know why you're see. laughing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see those buyers later. <laughs> 
Um, in the meantime, uh, Peter returns to his home, um, ready to bask in the glory of his accomplishment um, as Aunt May is watching a news story that is smearing Spider-Man. Um, and she is basically the one to break the news to Peter that Spider-Man is a criminal. It's it's true. He stole something. And look it, there's Jameson on, on the television offering a million dollar reward. And naturally, Peter's like, pissed about this yeah (laughs) i would be too (laughs) yeah so two things aunt may sucks in this (laughs) this one scene (laughs) she's even like even like her line reads i think it's very intentional because it's supposed to be provoking peter i get it yeah um but she even like she sounds like she's kind of like a bad witch like with an evil laugh she's like um i wrote down the line because it's like it's so like evil it's just like now there's nowhere spider-man can run (laughs) at last he'll get what he deserves Oh, like, she's so ready for Spider-Man to get, like, crushed. I know. She's like, are you a supervillain on me? Like, yeah, she's yeah. ready to dance on Spider-Man's grave, for sure. <laughs> she really is. <laughs> um, but that said, I do I do like how it provokes Peter, because there's a couple of facial things I don't like in this scene, but there's there's that one really, like, tight close-up on his face where, like, you see his, his like, frustration and his eyes, like, tightening up. Yeah. Like, we get a good bit of his, ri- kind of, that inner frustration and rage really bubbling up, which makes sense for kind of how what the symbiote does to him later so it's cool that they're kind of setting that up so it's not like dark spider-man is out of nowhere like yeah Peter has all of this anger and frustration inside inside of him and it's valid because he's been given kind of a crap deal yeah no i like that too they're building the stage prior to the to what we expect right so yeah peter peter like we said gets pissed and so he storms upstairs and he doesn't necessarily quit spider-man like he has a couple times i think at this point um but he does sort of just like exasperatedly throw his suit into the hamper and basically says like well i can't really go out as spider-man now right because everybody's gonna be trying to catch me or whatever so i might as well get some rest so he goes to sleep and uh, we see that the black ooze that was all over his suit crawls off of the suit and up to sleeping peter and he has the venom nightmare Mm. so even before the nightmare i love like the shadow work in in this scene before he's going to bed like this whole episode i think out of the three like this is the best animated one and there's a lot of just great great shadows great shading which like makes sense for the kind of darker content of it right it's so good just in in his bedroom scene especially as is kind of being kind of ominous and tense leading up to this very 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 well done nightmare sequence yeah um so the nightmare sequence is interesting it we see a little bit of it in the in the opening but basically he he is confronted by a really kind of messy version of what we will later see as Venom fighting like a, a like messy version of his suit in this sort of surreal cityscape. Um, and they're both sort of huge and destroying the world around him in sort of like a <laughs> like a Megazord versus big monster type of way. <laughs> you know, Godzilla versus whatever type of way. And it sort of culminates in, the, in, in what we see in the intro where Venom pulls him from one side and the Spider-Man costume pulls him from the other and ultimately the the venom monster in his nightmare wins out and sort of like eats peter yeah it's really well done and i mean obviously like it's right out of the comics right even still seeing it visualized it's it's so well animated yeah and it's so it's it's really visceral like the the kind of pulling back and forth it's just like i i really love how these episodes are really obviously really clearly diving into kind of peter's psyche um Mm. a lot of his inner monologue and then we see stuff like this yeah um and I, I love any time that they kind of uh, they kind of visualize what's happening going on in his head, um, which doesn't happen very often in this show, uh, but it's it's really well done here. Yeah, I like I like it a lot. 
Yeah, and after after he ends up, you know, getting quote eaten by the the venom monster in his dream, he he wakes up startled, right, as one would from a nightmare. But he doesn't wake up in his bed. He wakes up uh, hanging upside down on the side of a building, <laughs> as one does. <laughs> a shot so good they had to repeat it <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it, it is interesting. Like we talked about this being sort of our first story-driven exposure to Venom. I'm certain it was for so many people that you know why why not pull from some of that iconic imagery? <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's great. It's, it's so, it's so genius. I can't even really like pinpoint exactly why it is. It's just like, it's almost instantly iconic because it's such a striking image of seeing Spider-Man. Unlike in the comics, like this is the first moment you see him in his, in his suit. And the fact that like it was done without him, without him realizing like what was happening completely unconsciously, like there's kind of like a weird terror in it, but it's also like so cool and so enticing, which is exactly what Peter is going through. Like he's freaked out, but he's also like, oh, this is kind of cool like it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very cool yeah he he says something to the extent of like um i don't even know what I, I wish i had written it down but he 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 like describes the absurdity of it um before he sort of discovers his power where, where he's like i'm hanging upside down outside in a suit i've never seen before like so uh <laughs> i don't know it, it's it's i really enjoy it <laughs> he's like staring at himself in a reflection so he, he realizes instantly that like something's different yeah, so while it's happening, uh, we get right into another action sequence. Uh, some dudes in a helicopter spot him. They attempt to pursue, since he does have that million-dollar uh, million price on his head. But that's when we see him kind of explore his new powers. He escapes the helicopter and realizes that his powers have been augmented. He can make his own webbing now uh, without using web shooters, or his suit can, rather. Yeah. Um, he can jump a lot farther than he ever has before. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny to me, but he's just like, I've never jumped that far before. Yeah, yeah, I almost, I almost completely like missed that whole building. Yeah, <laughs> we see him on the ground too. Um, he finds out that he's he's a lot stronger because he can like lift an entire fire truck as opposed to like just lifting a Volkswagen. He says. Yep. But uh, he also immediately starts beating on some construction <laughs> workers. Like, hmm, maybe you have a problem, dude. But I like how quickly they kind of dive into this aspect of like the symbiote kind of messing with his mind and kind of convincing him to make him rationalize what he's doing. Like, oh no, I'm, I'm just depending. I'm just defending myself like well, this is normal i would do this normally this is why the setup prior to him actually having the suit makes so much sense peter goes to sleep defensive he wakes mm-hmm. up people attack him and it's understandable that whether he had the suit or not he would still be defensive and the suit just makes it feel justified you know right like it's not just his own psyche saying like no you defend yourself he's also got this suit that's a sort of animalistic in ways defending itself too yeah well that is so smart about it because it's very it's a lot of like subtle changes like i, yeah. I mean it's not like it's it's not just taking over his mind and brainwashing him like it's augmenting what's already there mm-hmm. and the feelings are already feeling it's just like presenting them in a way that he never would right Yeah, the other power that Peter learns in this scene is that uh, the suit can also change its entire appearance and change into other clothes. Um, So he's able to disguise himself as a police sergeant, which is (laughs) pretty cool. (laughs) I just want to point out that, like, disguising himself as a police sergeant is what allows him to not get caught. And then before he even takes a step away from the scene, (laughs) he changes back into his Peter clothes. Like, walk off. 
down an alley or something. <laughs> well, and, I, and and this is like right after there was a bunch of people who were in the building above him shouting from the window, staring like, there's Spider-Man. We're yes. looking at him. And like just crawling over under one car, like isn't going to hide you from them. So theoretically, like 50 people have just seen all of this happen. Yeah. But... <laughs> these episodes are good. So there's a lot of like very obvious out in public costume changes that I'm going to like give a pass. <laughs> yeah. Because this happens again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Just got to point it out at least the one time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So right after that, Peter goes to uh, to ESU. Didn't he? Okay. I meant to actually go back and rewatch this. Yeah. Uh, because doesn't he specifically say he's going to go there to like investigate the suit that he has? Is that right? Or am I remembering that wrong? Or does he just end up there just coincidentally? Um, I don't know if he does. It would make sense because that's a goal of his generally speaking. Yeah. But I don't know if he's at that point yet. He's sort of just, like, feeling his oats at this point. Yeah, because the only reason I bring that up is that, like, he goes there, but then, like, immediately leaves. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. It's, yeah. This next scene is super weird, but it, it, it builds his sort of changing personality, but, but it is very strange. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of, he's experimenting uh, the kinds of things the suit can change into. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first thing he decides to change it into, for whatever reason, is the uh, quote-unquote guy from Aerosmith. <laughs> yep, and then they play the guitar riff from the uh, the theme song that we now know is played by the Aerosmith guy, like the yep. actual one. <laughs> Just really it's funny. Good. It's good. It's a funny joke because I mean, yeah. And it, yeah, his outfit looks exactly like Joe Perry's outfit. So yeah. <laughs> it's uh, good. but he after he does that his little cute little joke um he then is like he, he decides to get like an italian i guess like an armani suit <laughs> yeah. looks so weird on peter parker like peter parker in a suit does not work <laughs> no it doesn't work and it's like a gray suit which only just makes him look even huger than before he's <laughs> oh, <laughs> already huge with a tiny head and this gray suit somehow makes it worse oh my god and think about how big like how big people wore their suits in oh the my 90s. gosh huge <laughs> suit is huge so peter looks like a hulking mass of nothing right now yes um but but everyone (laughs) thinks he's hot um (laughs) that's particularly particularly felicia hardy who comes out of esu with flash thompson and notices peter in the in the apparently like really sharp suit that he's wearing i guess yeah she's very impressed she is super into it she's she's always in like horny for peter in very odd moments we've noticed yes (laughs) <laughs> so she's of course into him flash thompson's there he hits on her a little bit and flash like i don't know he makes some he makes like a whole homo thing about like don't hit on my girl and then felicia's like i'm not really your girl which he's you know mad what about. felicia <laughs> you deserve far better men than you hang out with yes yes like peter you could do better than peter flash you could do so much better than flash yes like felicia come on i know i girl. know girl <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> And it's yeah, she keeps hanging out with them and they keep getting under the impression that they're they're dating her when they're not really apparently. Yeah, why is that a thing? I don't know. I don't uh. know. <laughs> Anywho. Um, yeah. <laughs> not yeah. even the most uncomfortable part of this interaction in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after that whole like interaction, like 
Peter, he insults Flash, like calls him a bonehead or whatever. Yeah. Flash gets really mad at him. And yeah, so <laughs> I like the way that you wrote this down. There's a lot of very uncomfortable big dick energy. <laughs> it is. It's not the it's not the good positive lesbian big dick energy. It is it is like the toxic masculinity big dick energy. Yeah, this is like a ton of male posturing, a ton of language that I should have quoted because it's a bunch of language that very easily could be interpreted as referring to one's dick size. Ooh. Like it's just very strange. <laughs> yeah, he's like I, I think oh god, Doesn't I think he say, like I've grown in more ways than one I've or grown, something like that. I've grown a lot more than my backbone. Yeah. yeah. Ugh, Peter. Ooh, Peter. Ooh, boy. Come on. This is a Venom episode. That's true. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of big dick energy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Felicia does have the correct response to all of this. Realizing <laughs> yes. That the men in her life are crazy. She says, you know what, Peter? You are different. You scare me. Yes. Love me that too. line. Love it. Yeah. <sighs> And, you know, I do, I do love that, like, Peter doesn't get it. Like, he, he's being blocked by the symbiote, clearly. Christopher Daniel Barnes has such great acting in these episodes. Um, like, as much as he hams it up, as much as he can, can ham it up, when he's in this kind of very smug Peter that he's doing, who's just, like, he's, I guess he's, he, he's, like, made purposely oblivious from how he's acting. And he, like, just legit just doesn't get it. And I, I really love that. He even does, like, that little... That little flip, just just happy little flip after all of this is yeah. happening. It's just like, wow, they're weird. I'm cool though. Like, <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's really great. And there's a lot of great like artwork on his face too. Like he makes a lot of really <laughs> great just like smug faces throughout all of this. Yeah, and it still doesn't feel like. Um... I don't know. It doesn't feel excessively over the top because this ha- this has built appropriately through the the interactions leading up to this, right? Like the fight right before it, where he's getting defensive, the news story, the, all that. So it builds up sort of in a in a in a way that makes this um, easy to stomach, even though he's being like a total turd. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and you can tell. I mean, we know that something is up with him. Um, right. No matter what you know about the symbiote or don't, you know that there's something up with him. That's not. He's not really in control. Yeah. So um, after this weird interaction, we kind of go back to Alistair's lab and he's <laughs> kind of being whiny um, <laughs> to Kingpin about not having the proper equipment. And if he doesn't have the proper equipment, he can't demonstrate the power of the Prometheum X. So Kingpin once again calls up Rhino to, instead of retrieving the Prometheum X, this time retrieve the materials that Alistair needs in order to do his little demonstration. So when Rhino responds to this call and goes off to to seek out these materials, Peter finally gets the spider tracer signal um, because Rhino is once again on the move. And this sort of leads us into the final scenes of this episode where we really, really see Peter's not just acting weird. There's like straight up something wrong here. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Okay, so, and these, these, are, these are good scenes. Yes. Yeah, so I think we get... I guess it's around here that we get the scene with Peter and Aunt May, right? When they're at the uh, at the dinner table. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and, and this is one of those times, like, as much as I like to complain about Aunt May sometimes, she makes really valid points. Uh, she's basically telling Peter, like, it's dangerous to take photos of Spider-Man with this whole ransom on his head. He's basically going to be like a cornered animal, I think she says, verbatim. Which is a really, like, uh, that's a really valid and, and really in, kind of insightful point of view, right? Like, yeah. if you if you are under the impression that Spider-Man is just a vigilante, even if you think he's a hero, he's under, like, extreme circumstances. He might be dangerous. Even if he's not, the whole situation is dangerous because there's a bunch of bounty hunters after him. Yeah. Um, so this is like the one time that Aunt May isn't just like complaining about Peter to take a bath or whatever. And... Yeah. Well, she's not even she's not even like 
being doty in the sense that she does sometimes where she says like i really wish you wouldn't take pictures of that spider-man because you're gonna get dirty or because he's da- like he's you know you might get hurt or something this is like they have the news report on in the background of him basically like beating up civilians <laughs> like, right um she's just she's saying what any reasonable person would right and, and that I, I think that's a that's that's very smartly done because that makes it all the worse when peter just kind of blows her off Yo, um, blows yeah blows up blows up at her really for his, his as many like awful and dumb things as she said before he'll always just be like okay aunt may but like this yeah. time he's like i'm not gonna hear any more of this and just storms off yep which is completely out of character for him and aunt may is understandably shocked by it mm-hmm. just another another example of his amped up aggression but it's luckily all boiling he, <laughs> up it's all boiling up and now he has a way to uh, or a, a direction to point his anger in when he realizes that Rhino is right back on his tracker. Yep. So he does uh he does track him to like yeah, I don't know where this is, some sort of storage like facility. I don't know how to describe <laughs> where they go other than like it's it looks like a prison, but it's not <laughs> yeah. a prison. It's somehow it's like a really fancy storage facility. I don't know. Yep. He opens up a storage locker basically. <laughs> yes. Like Rhino does. He breaks into some weirdly secure overly secure storage unit and there are the things that he needs <laughs> but it looks like a castle <laughs> yeah it, it does look like a castle and it, it's nice to have to have these giant like steel doors <laughs> oh yeah huge <laughs> so of course we get kind of a really our, our big uh, our big fight sequence in this episode they fight and peter does actually like beats the ever living snot out of rhino which is crazy because rhino is is very strong and we were made to believe that if rhino weren't called off by kingpin he would have clobbered spider-man earlier in this episode Mm -hmm. so in a matter of 20 minutes we go from you know red and blue suited spider-man getting his butt whooped by rhino to now black suited spider-man kicking rhino's ass which Mm -hmm. surprises rhino you know understandably (laughs) yep and i just want to add to i love the idea that there's this gray basically naked guy running around like bent over with his butt sticking out (laughs) telling peter his his big quip that he has to peter in this or spider-man in the sequences i gotta polish my horn oh boy (laughs) (laughs) oh god how many people have turned off the podcast by now (laughs) none of them we were all thinking it (laughs) <laughs> it is funny that like Rhino is the is the villain and the henchman that ends up, you know, in this this episode. And then in the next episode, spoiler alert, the villain is one called Shocker. You know, like <laughs> they could have chosen other people. They chose yes. these ones. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Oh man. So they fight, Peter beats him, even to the point that like um he's like got him like stuck in the ground by his horn and he's like spinning him around. He's like toying with him. He's not just he defeating is. him. He's not just, you know, neutralizing him. He's like beating him up and playing with him. Right. It's messed up. It's really messed up. And it's so, I mean, even as early as it is in this show, it's obvious that this is very out of character for Peter, which is, yeah. so it's very well done. And it, and, I, and I appreciate that, like, this show was able to kind of handle Dark Spider-Man in a way that, like, they obviously couldn't get very adult with it. Yeah. But there's so many, like, implications and kind of subtle tweaks to Peter's personality in it that makes it clear that something's off and very mm-hmm. unnerving and kind of uncomfortable. So that's really well done. Rhino, of course, is once wanting to surrender render figuring he'll just go to prison and then spider-man says i'm through not getting what i want i give up trying to be a friendly neighborhood spider-man yep and then he you know webs that huge door that you referenced and like pulls it over getting ready to like totally crush rhino with it 
Mm-hmm. Scary mm-hmm. stuff. Yes, and a really great, great line reading from uh, from Christopher Di- Daniel Barnes. <laughs> yes, he gets to have a lot of fun in these three episodes. Oh, God, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, this is very obviously meant to be Spider-Man losing control and getting ready to straight up murder <laughs> Rhino. Like they don't say as much, but we see as much. Yeah. It's very uh, much I, the intention. Yeah. And kind of going back to seeing a lot of Peter's like inner psyche earlier, the only thing that stops him is just him just happening to kind of flash back to basically just to the last 24 hours, really his reactions to Aunt May for what Felicia said to him about being, uh, about scaring her. Yeah. Um, and he realizes, you know, he finally recognizes that something is off with him and something's up with him. Um, that stops him from killing Rhino. Um, I love that he just, he just like freaks out and runs off. And I think the end of this episode, it, it's my favorite cliffhanger out of these two or out of the two cliffhangers that we get from these episodes, uh, because it is like legitimately like scary because we are kind of in, peter's head and his in his point of view and it's just like there's nothing scarier than like realizing that something is happening to you personally not knowing what that outside force is and then just being like what do i do you know yeah i'm losing control yeah i mean we even i i, I just i absolutely love that that point when after he's run away and he's questioning like what's happening to me and he's like uh, he's like hugging himself and like <laughs> shivering and so and like which you've never seen Spider-Man so vulnerable at this point in the show. Um, and so terrified. Like, I love that little bit. Um, and it's not dwelled upon or anything, but it's such a great, a great little like emotional bit to end the episode on right before we see a flash of venom <laughs> in the reflection. Yeah. Yeah. He sees like a, a reflection of uh, like a, fl- I think like lightning happens or something. Yeah. And in that flash, there's like venom's face and we haven't seen venom's face yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he certainly hasn't either. Um, so I can only imagine how that would uh, startle you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. What did I just see? <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, it's like everybody likes these episodes, right? But it is pretty great seeing like why these episodes were so influential and why they're so beloved because it's such a, it's such a total like 180 from what we've gotten on the show at this point. Mm-hmm. And, and I just love how like in Peter's head it is like, obviously, but it's not just like Peter fighting a generic supervillain. Like this sort of feels like the beginning of what the show becomes when it's more serialized because you have Peter at the center, like what he's going through in his head with all of these different like little factors and moving parts around him, like different characters that have already appeared who are kind of playing a little role coming in and going out. And it just feels like a much bigger, like more connected world and, and just like a bigger, almost more cinematic story than we've gotten up to this point. Well, yeah, cause we've, we've been building these characters bit by bit this whole time mm-hmm. and they managed to accomplish a lot in a very little little amount of time this is only episode eight you know yeah it would be per- totally reasonable to expect they would have spent the entire first season doing singular episodes about singular villains to just build up you know our affection for spider-man or whatever the case may be but like they really waste no time yeah, it's it's surprising, like going back and realizing, like this isn't the end of the season. Like this is no, just just like just off from the middle of the season. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so weird, but I love yeah. it. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So for this episode, face of the episode. 
It's a so, good one. <laughs> I, I dig this one. Um, so right after uh, uh, Peter is feeling all like smug from rescuing the, the shuttle and then finds out from Aunt May that uh, he's being blamed for, for stealing the Prometheum X. There's just like a little like kind of yikesy face from Peter um, bearing his teeth, holding an apple, which we like, you don't really see that much on the show. <laughs> yeah. As he's leaned back on the couch, it's just such an odd position for him. This isn't one of those that I think are like, oh, this is weird, bad animation. It's just like, it's, no, it's like, a funny a, expression. It's a funny, it's like expression. a funny reaction to what's going on. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a very funny reaction, and not and just one that we really don't see very often. Yeah, <laughs> and the apples. <laughs> the <laughs> it apples. just looks like a bowl of apples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which again, like we don't really see characters like eat very much on this show. So just to see him just like holding an apple, I don't know. It just adds to like the absurdity of it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I uh, wholeheartedly agree. It's a good, yeah. good face. It's a good. It's a good. It's a good. Yikes! Reaction image. I think. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> cool all right so we can move on so we have our next episode uh this is episode nine of the same spider-man animated series this is the <laughs> alien... <laughs> in case you you know lost track this is the alien costume part two so the synopsis for this one per imdb is spider-man is becoming attached to his new suit but eddie brock has framed spider-man for the prometheum x robbery alistair which is spelled wrong in the imdb that's synopsis, so weird anyway. Very weird. Uh, Alistair and Kingpin send Shocker after Eddie to dispose of him. Now, Spidey will begin to see what the suit is really worth. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the original air date for this episode was May 6th, 1995, so the week after, I believe. Mm-hmm. In this case, the story was by John Semper and Bryn Stevens, who... Um, uh, she was credited in this episode as Bryn Chandler Reeves, um, but hmm. I think her name now, she goes by Bryn Stevens, uh, and she also wrote the teleplay solo. John Semper is not credited on the actual script. Huh. Um, but uh, she has written on He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, the original 80s uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, she's written on Batman the Animated Series, Gargoyles, and she also wrote one episode of Spider-Man Unlimited. Hey. Nice. Hey, yeah. <laughs> um, there is one major character introduced in this episode, and that character is Shocker, portrayed by a <laughs> massive heavy hitter in Jim Cummings, um, who's in maybe everything. I don't know. Hey, pretty much. <laughs> like, just, like, everything. But is very, very, very well known for portraying Winnie the Pooh in pretty much, if not literally, every property the character has been in since around 1990, including Kingdom Hearts 3 recently and all of the Kingdom Hearts installments. Um, he also voiced Winnie the Pooh in Christopher Robin, the, the recent movie, the 2011 Winnie the Pooh movie, a bunch of TV series and direct-to-video movies. So that's, like, a huge one. Um, he's also portrayed a bunch of other Disney characters, like Ray the Firefly and Princess and the Frog, which is one of my favorites. Um, Pete, uh, also known as Big Bad Pete, and I think a few other names in numerous Disney TV series and games, including Goof Troop uh, and the aforementioned Kingdom Hearts series, as well as being the voice of Darkwing Duck in the, you know, series Darkwing Duck. Um, <laughs> and uh, I guess the recent DuckTales series, which I haven't seen, apparently Darkwing Duck appears in some episodes of that as well. But really, I can't stress enough, like, Jim Cummings is in tons of things. Mm-hmm. Like, hundreds upon hundreds of things. And uh, some of those things are Spider-Man things. So he, he did appear as, you know, a number of, of characters in Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions, the game, and Edge of Time, as well as Hammerhead in the 2017 Spider-Man animated series. And uh, we'll see him again in uh, more roles in this series so yeah pretty exciting stuff 
many more even in this episode (laughs) it it takes like a whole minute to scroll down his imdb credits page like it's huge i don't think has anyone else ever voiced winnie the pooh like has he has he always been winnie the pooh no i think there are three human beings that have existed on this planet who have voiced winnie the pooh and i think it might literally just be those three really so i think it's like a role that i I don't i'm i'm not a hundred percent sure so Winnie the Pooh and Jim Cummings stands don't come for me. But um, I think it's like a role that just gets passed from one person to the next. I don't think it's something that is even cast. I think it's just Jim Cummings anytime they have a Winnie the Pooh thing. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. It's pretty incredible if you think about it. Yeah, it really is. And so rare. Yeah. Well, we'll get plenty of, the, plenty of him in this episode. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So this episode so starts off with a previously on. Uh, which is a full minute and 30 seconds. It somehow felt less egregious than the last one, though. It did. I think because more stuff happened that's relevant to this yeah, one. Because it is an actual it. multi-parter. It right. is still, like, crazy to me. Because this is a 20-minute... This this part two is a 20-minute and 46-second episode. Previously <laughs> on takes one minute and 30 seconds, plus a one-minute opening and a 30-second end credits. There's, like, what, what like 17 minutes of a yeah, show? It's wild. It's wild. And they pack so much into these episodes. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway. And that also reminds me, too, um, just... Uh, uh, opening credits intro watch 2019 all of these use the latter season intro whatever i don't even care anymore i've just accepted it that is the only intro that exists in the realm of the universe i've said that now and i bet the next episode is going to have the old one so it probably will we'll have a whole new one that they made just to mess with you <laughs> got an amazon exclusive opening. yeah they cut oh, it just God. for you <laughs> and it's gonna be like extra bad no care yeah okay uh, anyway yep. <laughs> so this episode is so interesting because it opens like the last episode ended with peter freaked out right yes this episode opens kind of just like not really ignoring that but i think the implication is that like the symbiote itself is so powerful that like even though peter has kind of had this like crisis and breakdown that like it's still kind of blocked that from him because we kind of have just flash forward to i guess the next day where he's just swinging around and he's fine and in fact is like super egocentric like don't you guys get it the black spider-man's unbeatable it's a little weird, but I think it, I, I guess it makes sense in context, even if it's not, it's not really explicit what's going on. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it feels fine. Like it doesn't feel super messed up or anything, but yeah, it is sort of a, a strange place for them, them to start off. It definitely would have benefited from a little bit of back and forth with the suit or something. I know mm-hmm. in your, um, Spider-Man three, um, video essay, you talk about how the, is it the editor's cut? The editor's sort cut, of does yeah. a little bit more of the back and forth forths like stressing the relationship peter has with the suit mm-hmm. this could have helped here but eh, it feels okay yeah it still it still works reasonably and i think i yeah. bet part of it too probably comes from the fact that like they did kind of have to shoehorn in a part two in between part one and part three when they were writing right. it like it's got to it start somewhere yeah and it does does not feel disjointed at all but I, I i'm sure that kind of comes to why there maybe is a little bit of a gap but it still works fine it's a very yeah. minor thing just an observation yeah this episode it still fits in relevant stuff like it doesn't feel like they're just filling space because they managed to put things in here that are actually really valuable moving forward mm-hmm. um so it, it it does open with spidey sort of just carrying on maybe awkwardly but it's that ongoing hunt like the reward is still out there to catch spider-man so we see that there's like this gang of bounty hunters i guess 
<laughs> yes. I, I think that's I, that's how I'm supposed to interpret it, I think. Trying to catch Spider-Man, and he basically says, you know, don't you get it? I'm unbeatable. The black Spider-Man is unbeatable. But we find out that's not the case, because this gang of bounty hunters just so happens to have a sonic blaster and a flamethrower. <laughs> And they use those things because they've tried everything else. And guess what? When you've tried everything else, the last things in your arsenal have to work. (laughs) (laughs) So we do see that the suit, which is now beginning to act on its own, does not like the Sonic Blaster and does not like the Flamethrower. So it nopes the F out of there. Yep. Just want to say too, the like leader of the bounty hunter bounty hunters, voiced by Jim Cummings. I'm going to keep a tally oh. of how many characters he voices. <laughs> the whole cast, <laughs> basically. <laughs> Actually, uh, everybody took a day off, and Jim Cummings just did everybody, <laughs> just all impressions, <laughs> just talking to himself in a booth. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, we uh, we we kind of cut to the bugle where Jameson is thanking Eddie Brock for his pictures of the shuttle incident. So <laughs> Spider Man is pissed. Um, <laughs> he comes in and confronts the two of them, very angry and very violently. And, and you know, I remember in the Scorpion episode, like I feel like he was kind of being a little too harsh. But it is interesting comparing the two now because as harsh as he was in the Scorpion one, being himself or putting on an act, trying to pretend to be violent, yeah. like him when he's actually under the influence of the symbiote and being violent is really violent yeah but but there's like a reason so it feels like it makes sense that's true (laughs) (laughs) anyway i guess i guess there was a reason the first time it just felt over the top there yeah yeah so to be fair i guess like we know that he has it in him to present himself in this way but this time like his emotions are actually like completely for real yeah and he trashes the room. Um, he's like threatening. He's like pulling people by the collar and threatening them through their face. And 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 also to be fair, that like his uh, his frustrations are valid because he calls out Eddie for lying about Rhino. Yeah. And Jameson doesn't believe him because it does because like naked guy in a Rhino costume that doesn't make sense. Yeah, somebody would have seen that. <laughs> so Jameson's like, I think that new suit's cutting off all the oxygen to your brain. <laughs> Which you know, sort of astute. <laughs> it is yeah i think jameson's i mean jameson's totally like on point i think all these episodes actually yeah. but yeah so spidey does threaten him uh, jameson i guess he has guard armed guards um who show up and so spider-man flees still doing his whole like villain shaking fist i'm gonna get you jameson kind of uh kind of yeah uh, I, uh, a thing going on but i do like that like jameson recognizes that like something is different about him this is not great we know that jameson knows spider-man very very well like he can tell the difference between two people wearing the exact same spider-man costume Mm -hmm. (laughs) he knows which one is spider-man so he would be the one to notice yeah so during that whole ordeal i think spider-man kind of caught wind that like something is up with him that he's just like feeling like super on edge like he's like beyond episode one peter parker tweaked Mm -hmm. (laughs) so but meanwhile we kind of cut back to alistair and kingpin trying to figure out the the power of the promethium x that they have um, they're showing they're <laughs> demonstrating it to their uh potential buyers who <laughs> are drawn to just look like street pucks what i don't understand <laughs> kingpin is probably one of the wealthiest if not like the wealthiest person in new york one of the most powerful people in new york and the country and probably the world and the people buying this brand new element that is like massively powerful are wearing, like, bandanas and, like, tiny sunglasses. 
Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> we'll tweet out a picture of these guys. Like, yeah. spoiler alert, they're the face of the episode because they make no sense. Um, <laughs> but it's like they're drawn like to be the most 90s. Like one of them kind of looks like almost like the 90s Superboy like reboot. Yeah. Where they try to make them look like edgy, but just with like these weird triangular sunglasses. Yeah. The other guy has like a mask and I guess they're supposed to be dreads. It's weird. I don't weird know. Weird choice. And also, both of them are voiced by Jim Cummings. Not <laughs> doing a different voice. They sound exactly the same. <laughs> I told you, he's in a booth talking to himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. three, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that's weird. <laughs> but I guess because he wants to impress these, I guess, very incredibly rich street punks. Yes. They're showing off that just like a little, just a little tiny piece of that Prometheum X can just be heated and is very explosive when it's heated. Um, so that one piece is like incredibly powerful, incredibly dangerous um, and volatile. Yeah, I like that one of the street punks is basically like, if the little piece can do that, that whole thing could blow up the planet. <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so um, after we see this lovely demonstration, we do cut back to Spider-Man. And, and, you know, one of the last things we saw was him threatening Jameson and, you know, going berserk and whatnot. So he finally goes to investigate this, right? Like, he's not just wondering anymore. He's like, I need to know what is going on. So he asks Dr. Connors for assistance. And I like that Dr. Connors sort of reacts like, whoa, wait, you're a wanted man. Like, why should I help you? And Spider-Man basically says, like, yo, you owe me a favor. <laughs> Which, yeah. again, feels kind of appropriate right now because it is. he's sort of edgy and defensive and, you know, willing to do things he wouldn't normally. He's not... He's not very selfless when it comes to the black suit yeah. Spidey version of himself. So um, he kind of pulls that you owe me card and Dr. Connors helps him. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too thinking about it. Like, you know, Dr. Connors becomes such a, a major like character in the show. But at this point, he's literally only ever appeared in the first episode. Mm -hmm. And he probably doesn't really like have much memory of his actual interaction with Spider-Man. So right. it's kind of cool. Like, I love the continuity in this. And that's kind of why I said in the, in the last one that like this kind of feels like where the show ends up going. In, in the future where like it just feels like a very fleshed out world and all of these characters can kind of come in and out we know them they play a role and can leave and so like we haven't seen dr connor's in a while but he plays an important role in this episode we know his relationship with spider-man yeah and that's fine we don't really need a reintroduction of him right so they do uh they do some sciencing which uh we always enjoy um they manage to cut a piece of the suit off um I'm not really sure how that works <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> Peter pinches his suit with his suit covered hand and they cut off a piece <laughs> and then he drops that piece from his suit covered hand. I don't know. Whatever. They yeah. examine it. They learn that it's a living being. And uh, Connors basically says like, it's not just that it's living. It's that it's, it's symbiotic in nature and it is taking from you. And that's not good. You should not wear that suit anymore. <laughs> <laughs> valid <laughs> yes good reaction dr connors <laughs> yeah and i love like any any um i love any scene from any time there's a symbiote like storyline where it's where like it's the reveal that it's alive because there is such like a really distinct kind of horror to it where it's like yeah. the actual inanimate clothes that i'm wearing it's like a living like sentient thinking thing that's like enveloping me like it's so it's so hard to like imagine what that's like because <laughs> obviously nobody has ever dealt with that but i imagine yeah. it's, it's sort of similar to like if you find out that there's a parasite in your body or something like that or even just as little as like there's a bug on you like the yeah. the 
the itch that you were scratching was actually a bug. <laughs> like it's right. like that, but your whole body. <laughs> right, right. And and it doesn't like lose its its sort of creepiness or weirdness because i was just reading spider-man renew your vows the other day and mary jane experiences this for the first time and it's still sort of like oh gosh that's so creepy to think about like she's just realizing for the first time like oh this suit is actually like not just fabric (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's weird it's almost kind of like ah my brain wants to go to like cosmic horror which that seems wrong but i feel like almost (laughs) kind of isn't it almost like kind of works because it's like this thing that you just can't understand like yeah. we don't have a real there's nothing analogous to it uh in in like real life you know yeah and it's 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 a really like kind of distinct type of horror and i appreciate that and i feel like that also kind of feeds into how much it's affecting peter's mind because even learning this and being horrified for it he's still like well it still gives me powers so i still need it <laughs> Yeah, well, this is the first time we get that that sort of um, emotional attachment that we were talking about before we started discussing the actual animated series in that he says, like, he doesn't just say I want it or he doesn't just say, like, yeah, maybe he specifically says I need it. Like, I need the suit, which is, I think, really, really significant. Yeah, I totally agree. Because, I mean, there's so many, there's definitely interpretations you can, where you could read it as kind of like an addiction. I think Spider-Man 3 did try to push that. It didn't really execute it very well outside of the editor's cut. But, like, the idea of this being a thing that, like, you recognize that it's doing something bad to you. Yeah. But you still just cannot stop yourself from using it because you feel your brain has been trained to think that you will not survive without it. Yeah. So it's a really cool like metaphor. And I like that they are kind of essentially getting an addiction metaphor into the show without it being heavy handed like it usually right. is in kids shows. Yeah. And I, I think that might be, I don't know, I guess I haven't really given this thought, but I do think that tends to be one of the things I like when they sort of examine with Venom is like the idea that you're addicted to this thing. Um, I don't know why I like that. I just think it's 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 yeah. like powerful and relatable, and people get yeah. that, even if you can't necessarily understand the the venom suit aspect of it. You know? Yeah. Well, there is, and there's something to like. I think when you are legitimately addicted to something, the thing that you're addicted to has its has has sort of like a really unique power and a personal power to you, yeah. where you could almost kind of see it being like a sentient thing, like beckoning you to 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 come to it and use it, yeah. right? So. It, it, the venom, the whole venom and symbiote stuff is so interesting because it, it essentially is like seeing that like laid out literally. <laughs> it's like it's it's like addiction personified. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah that that's a really interesting take on hmm. it. So we do cut to something different. Um, we cut to the hospital where John Jameson is, and he wakes up just long enough to mention the rhino to jonah so jonah is like wait a second i've i've heard this before and he confronts uh brock and says like wait a second so there was a rhino there and uh fires brock because that's what happens to brock (laughs) (laughs) maybe like the third or fourth time he's been fired at this point i love that yep yep (laughs) i (laughs) just want to say i hate the animation on john jameson's mumbling it does not match what he's saying at all and granted that happens a lot in this show i understand it budgets stuff but like that one just seemed like extra bad because it was not be hard to just animate <laughs> saying that and closing his eyes, but it's just like, it doesn't work at all. And it also like, I think that line reading is so like, it's kind of burned into my brain, I guess, because it's so distinct and having watched this episode a bunch of times, it was just like, <laughs> Oh, like and it does not work. <laughs> yeah. It's very, very strange. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> John Jameson is best when fully conscious. 
He really is. <laughs> also, like, he's not... I don't think he's hooked up to, like, any machines or anything. He's just laying in a bed covered in <laughs> bed covers. Like, are you help? Like, what is... Is this in some weird, like, hippie, holistic, like, <laughs> medical place where they don't use actual medicine or something? Seems very on brand for J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All about that holistic medicine. <laughs> Anyway, Brock gets fired again, like he does. Yeah, so, and I appreciate J- Jameson's not a hack with this. He recognizes that that's very unethical what's just happened, so he withdraws his reward um, until the matter has been thoroughly investigated. But you can tell he's irritated by it. Yeah, you know, yeah, like obviously. He, he, it's not like he's, he's, he's not remorseful. He's just doing it because he knows that, that he has to, and he's, like, frustrated by that. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he's not doing it out of the goodness of his heart, we'll say. Yes. Very true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we cut uh, to Kingpin and Alistair seeing that report from Jameson. They realize that Eddie Brock is going to be a risk to their operation. So in the meantime, we kind of cut between these two scenes. So Spider-Man sneaks into Brock's apartment, um, still like pissed at him. He wants to find those pictures of, uh, he wants to find the pictures of Rhino to, I guess, I guess like prove his innocence or whatever. Right. Um, (laughs) He searches his apartment. He finds them like in the shower head of the leaky shower head i don't Brock know Brock is very worried that people will find these but but i mean honestly it makes sense like he's he's hiding something um that's he's he's like brock has told a lie that has spiraled way out of control true so it's a weird place to hide it but it it's not weird that he's hiding it in a strange place yeah and 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 like spidey even comments on it he's just like not very hygienic but it's, it's smart <laughs> like most people wouldn't look in like the shower head for some film um <laughs> does brock that, like, like take the film out every time he takes a shower and then put it back in there i don't understand so. how does this work i guess so i don't know maybe he just doesn't shower very often hmm. I, don't <laughs> I don't know yeah so he finds that but that uh, since he's there he kind of uh overhears what's going on outside which is that uh kingpin and alistair have sent shocker to as a basically as a hitman yep to to kill brock who uh by the way Brock has been evicted out of my apartment. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Yeah. So Brock's life is finally out of control and now he's about to get killed. I want to also add that like the, the kind of lead up to that, this, they're talking about like killing off Brock and Alistair is like, I have the perfect equipment to do it. And I have the perfect man to use them. So, why like a gun wouldn't solve this problem i don't know (laughs) but comic book show whatever but then he's like the perfect guy to use it so the perfect guy to use it is whoever is uh behind shocker's mask we know from the comics that it's like herman schultz or whatever but we don't know who that is at this point it's a gun but it's another guy who's voiced by jim cummings again (laughs) i when i first watched this i was like oh so is one of the punk guys that are also voiced by jim cummings is it implying that they're the shocker but i don't think they are because we see them again later on at the end of the episode and they don't comment on it and also like i don't know why is this like the perfect equipment to kill him why is this the perfect guy like that's one of those things where like i appreciate how they can just like do tons of exposition in one line but it didn't really work here like i feel like they could have just been like i have a guy like (laughs) they 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 kind of pinpointed a little too much on like the person the equipment (laughs) well they don't feel the need to explain rhino and so i don't know why they needed to explain shocker yeah and that really actually explain him very well either (laughs) no 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 they just there's clearly some compulsion there yeah and they didn't need to they didn't need to follow it (laughs) right (laughs) 
Anyway, um, Shocker confronts Brock outside of his apartment. His apartment. (laughs) Spidey overhears, so he intervenes and and does fight Shocker. Shocker, of course, has the powers to shoot shocking wave things out of his <laughs> fist i guess i thought that they're supposed to be like like sonic waves but they don't really like use that in this episode as a as a weakness for spider-man so i guess in this iteration they're not like actual sonic sound waves right am i remembering that wrong no i think you're right i don't think they're sonic in nature i think they're i think does electro ever appear in this series uh eventually but not for oh, okay. a very long time shocker sort of like fills that spot that's true that makes sense I think they're just meant to be sort of like weird electric pulses or something. I don't know. That works. That works for me. <laughs> In any um, case, he, <laughs> you know, he launches lots of puns and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So they fight. Uh, Shocker dumps a bunch of rubble on Spider-Man and just walks off, assuming that he's dead, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if Shocker's ever heard of Spider-Man before. Right? I don't think he I has. Maybe this is the first time he's ever, like, been out on a job. I don't know. They don't I guess. Really explain who he is. True. <laughs> but, of course, Spider-Man is, of course, not dead, so he follows Shocker to uh, Alistair's uh, laboratory. Um, he... So, uh, Shocker goes through, like, a metal door. Spider-Man goes to follow him. He sees that it's, like, this giant metal door. He thinks at first to go through the air vent, and he's like, that's the old Spider-Man. The new Spider-Man is violent and strong. So he rips the door down, and <laughs> I just want to make this explicit. He pulls off the door in front of Shocker and Alistair Smythe, walks in through that doorway. Alistair Smythe's response to this is, how did you get in here? <laughs> uh, you just saw me rip off the door. <laughs> that's how. <laughs> and then missed Spider-Man opportunity can... for a good response i f- i think right 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 i mean i guess he's just so shocked that like spider-man figured out where his secret layer is but it's just like <laughs> i don't know like you saw what happened right like you can tell <laughs> it's not a valid question <laughs> smite's supposed to be a smart guy <laughs> he's supposed to be but anyway we go right into spider-man uh technically like a messing with a dude in a wheelchair by spinning him around a lot weird implications there when you think about it yeah (laughs) black suit spider-man total jerk (laughs) yeah but yeah the main thing is he's he's fighting shocker he is eventually able to get his hands on the prometheum x and and escapes with it uh which kind of leads into an interesting an interesting little little scene where he's investigating what that prometheum x is yeah he he examines it he does some science he learns something about it and has sort of a revelation but we don't know what the revelation is which does work for the story in this case sometimes i get annoyed when they do that kind of stuff but this time i wasn't i wasn't annoyed by the time the episode was over yeah i think it more is just kind of weird because so much of these these episodes specifically are kind of diving into peter's inner monologue and psyche and and so we're essentially following his pov throughout it so it's weird when like we get our one instance of breaking away from it. I think yeah. it's the only thing that bothers me about it. And I think that's like when other shows do it badly, that's that's what they're doing badly about it because it ends up being kind of a cop-out because it's like, well, these are the characters that we're always following. And yeah. now is the one time you're not letting us into like their intimate moments. Yeah. You know? I guess my reaction is results-oriented, because I do remember being annoyed when it was happening, and then once the episode was over, I was like, oh, okay, that's why they didn't tell us. 
That's so it true. is sort of like a results-oriented thing. I definitely was irritated. <laughs> yeah, and it is it is a good reveal, I think. So it's yeah. it's worthwhile, but it is one of those things where it's sort of like uh, you maybe may, you maybe could have written a little better. I don't know. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It still works. Yeah. So after that, uh, shocker then goes to kidnap John Jameson uh, from the hospital to hold him hostage. So another new wrinkle in this, he tells Jameson uh, to put out a call for Spider-Man as a matter of life and death. The first time that the word death has been said on this show. (laughs) Despite Spider-Man nearly killing uh, (laughs) at least one person up to this point. (laughs) He hasn't landed on any pigeons, though. So that's That's true. No pigeons were on the bridge when the the shuttle landed. (laughs) (laughs) There's a really interesting shot. It's like right at the end of the scene when Shocker is talking to Jameson. I don't know if you've noticed it, but it's like a CGI pan over from the window. It like comes out of the window, goes like across like uh, uh, the buildings a little bit and then down to Eddie Brock watching them in a trench coat. Hmm. And it's a really unique shot because it's, it's really hard for cartoons to do that, which is why it's mostly CGI. Yeah. It doesn't look good, but (laughs) (laughs) mostly because none of the CGI in these shows, like in this show looks good, but kudos to like the ambition for that shot because it's wholly unnecessary. All it does is just show that like Eddie Brock is kind of watching stuff happening from afar. Yeah. But it's a cool idea. I, I appreciate when they're ambitious with this show because um, they yeah. didn't have to do that. So, Yeah, the show, I, I like that too. When a show does something they don't have to do, but it, it either benefits what's going on or it shows or demonstrates an amount of care, I can get behind it regardless of kind of how it turns out if it's not, you know, wrecking the episode we're watching. Exactly. And this doesn't, so... Yep. yep. Um, but yeah, we do have we do have John Jameson um, being held hostage now. So um, in response to that call, Spider-Man and, and J. Jonah Jameson head off to retrieve John Jameson, despite, you know, it being sort of obvious what's going on. Um, they don't really have much of a choice. So Spider-Man does end up trading the Prometheum X for John, which was the deal. Um, and um, Shocker ends up attacking Spider-Man, which we kind of could expect. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Spider-Man even sort of says, like, I've been double crossed but it's not genuine surprise i don't think (laughs) um and then we get some of my favorite favorite (laughs) stuff from these two episodes because it's like simultaneously terrifying and hilarious because as shocker attacks spidey and they fight spider-man threatens to and i quote tear shocker limb from limb he says, I will tear you limb from limb, Ooh. which is Ooh. really scary stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy, too, because we've seen him kind of ebb and flow between how aggressive he is and, th- and then gets himself in check. Yeah. So it's it's this whole sequence is so well done because he's just like amped up to 11, like for real. And yes. never once like backs down up until the very end. So you're really seeing like <laughs> you're just it, it, it's, it's a great like I love how this episode kind of like subtly is escalating it to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, over the course of both of these episodes, you see, yeah. you know, each time he loses his temper or control, it's a little bit more offensive each time. Right. Like yes. at the end of the first episode, when he's snapping at Aunt May, you're like, whoa, dude, like that was a little much. You know, and then he almost kills Rhino and you're like, holy moly. Well, this is just taking it even to the next level um, mm-hmm. where he's just like actively threatening violence as opposed to just losing control of his actions. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's like the difference between like a fit of passion versus like a calculated murder. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And it doesn't stop with just that because despite, you know, despite some uh, Brock attempting intervention and distractions and stuff like that, Spider-Man is, you know, still pursuing Shocker. So Shocker manages to get away in time or, you know, a little, little bit because Brock sort of gets in the way. But Spider-Man is just sort of like, get out of the way. Like I'm, like he says, going to tear this guy limb from limb and so (laughs) we get this like this this sort of uh, i guess shockers it's kind of like this terrifying chase scene where like shocker is getting away but he's also running away from spider-man you know like it's not just that he's trying to escape it's that this guy just threatened to murder him so he's running (laughs) up this tower and spider-man chases him and as spider-man chases him he I had to, the first time I watched this episode, I had to make sure I understood who was screaming because, (laughs) because it's so uncharacteristic. Spider-Man goes straight up berserk and screams, shocker, you can escape me. (laughs) And then he goes, I'll chase you to the ends of the earth. He does, um, like, this, like, breathy, like, inhale when he reads it that I, yeah. I don't know if I could ever, like, imitate. Like, chase you to the ends of the... <gasps> oh, no, that was bad. Okay. No, I, I can't do it. I've established that. So... Yeah. <laughs> but it's, like, it's like this really, like, distinct, like, a thing that I feel like only voice actors can really do. That it's just, like, he's projecting in a way that it just, like, resonates with you so much. And, like, it's it's crazy. It's so... I, I would love to see what it looked like in person, like seeing Christopher yes. Daniel Barnes in the booth reading these lines. Yeah. There's so much energy in them. Well, and Peter in this series is very much acted in a sort of like nice guy, nice boy, intellectual, you know, thoughtful, reflective way. So for him to just be like screaming threats at mm. Shocker is just like really, really alarming. <laughs> yeah. It's really, it, it has a high impact simply because it's so different than what we're used to. And yeah, I would love, love, love to see this in the booth. <laughs> I know, right? And especially because like, I feel like he was still pretty young. Like I, if he was 16 when uh, Little Mermaid came out and this is only like, what, like five years later. So he's like 20 or 20, 21 year old shouting yeah. like, this that's crazy to me like it's so like it's hammy like i've seen people criticize this for being like overacting or whatever and sure that's valid it's valid but like the the amount of like i don't know the amount of like guts you have to have to go for it like this any other actor would have would have just been like generic just very generic like villain shouting but like he does something so distinctly like visceral yeah it's just unbelievable well and here's what i'll give to it like i understand the criticism that it's like corny or it's over the top because it is over the top but here's the thing we've been building up to this moment this whole time you know what i mean and this sort of like over the top screaming it definitively signifies to us that like he has lost it yeah. Like this is it. This is this is the exclamation point on the build up to say like we've we've gotten to the point where like he has lost control. <laughs> yep. He yep. like that's it. <laughs> yeah. It's good. It's good and it's just like it's got to be I wish I could like put myself back into like the mindset that I had when I was like 
like a six-year-old watching this and seeing this happen because like it's got to be like like kind of terrifying to watch something like this like the hero that you've been you've been totally into that is just like legitimately like scary in a way that like you don't even you can't even really comprehend i have to imagine that the tear you limb from limb line was heavily debated oh yeah yeah considering how much censorship the show is under Mm -hmm. man yeah because it's really we don't you know this this isn't a violent episode technically but like there's a lot of violence alluded to and referred to and it's not in in like funny silly quips either (laughs) it's pretty visceral yeah yeah a completely like different angle of all of this is what's going on with eddie brock i just want to track eddie brock's little like mini arc going on in like little snippets and yes i did breeze over it but let's (laughs) let's get into it because it's hilarious yeah so first of all eddie's like in a trench coat for like two scenes while he's tracking all of this he shows up to the scene without a trench coat so i don't know some of that he's just wearing a trench coat for a while seems pointless but whatever anyway he shows up he's happy to see shocker killing spider-man because he hates him of course while all of this is happening, I guess they're fighting. I forget if they say where they're at, but they're fighting in what looks like a museum or something. Whatever. Uh, uh, they break like a, a display case that has a, a mace in it, like a medieval mace. <laughs> Eddie <laughs> picks it up, goes running at Spider-Man, twirling it. Oh my gosh. Figuring he's going to just bash Spider-Man's face in with a mace. Such a fool. But it's hilarious because he's running with his mace. Shocker just kind of like looks at him like, I almost like killed you just like (laughs) three hours ago. And he just stops, runs in the other direction. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) And then he disappears for a while. Then he shows up again right after like like Peter's big lines where uh where where Spider-Man's big lines where he does get shocker he like kind of tackles him he's squeezing him breaks his uh breaks his little like arm weapons and then Brock shows up and he like tackles them which okay so breaking this down shocker is a hitman who just tried to murder Eddie Brock mm-hmm. but i guess his hatred for Spider-Man is so great that he's still going to save his attempted murderer from Spider-Man just to, like, maybe be able to, like, punch him a couple of times. Because he doesn't have a <laughs> weapon with him. He doesn't have a gun. He's not carrying his medieval mace anymore for some reason. <laughs> he just tackles him. So... <laughs> Bad decision making, Eddie Brock. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's losing sight of, of, of normalcy and any sort of reason. Everyone's just going nuts. That's true. I do appreciate how chaotic all of this is. (laughs) It's very chaotic. It took like two watches to really even like, like realize like what was happening. Like, and it's not like incoherent in the way that like the Doc Ock climax with the rockets was. It's just because like everyone is so angry and just like wailing on each other. And like, no one even knows like who's on their side anymore. Everyone just wants to kill everybody else. Yeah. And like, it's a thing that we haven't really seen in this show before um because you know obviously spider-man's normally a force for good and at this point we're essentially seeing people who are completely amoral trying to murder each other so right (laughs) yeah it's uh it's a lot and it 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 sort of culminates in a lot as well because um (laughs) we do end up with you know eddie eddie continues to pursue the action and pursue spider-man and follow what's going on um so when spider-man chases shocker up the bell tower brock follows up the bell tower so spider-man's like oh my gosh like cut it out get away from me and webs brock up basically saying like i'll get you later dude he specifically says 
I'm going to save you for dessert. It's a <laughs> like, very venom thing to say. Exactly. Exactly. Ex- which, you know, if you're if you're already familiar with the character of Venom, you like see that this transformation is actively happening because of that line, you know, the tear you limb from limb and the saving for dessert. Those are literally things Venom does is rip people apart and eat them. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So Spider-Man does chase Shocker to the to the, the end of this bell tower. He's got Brock webbed up, and Spidey basically like destroys Shocker's shocking weapons, the blasters. I don't know what they're actually called. Cuffs, maybe? I don't know. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and is basically like preparing to throw him off the side of the tower, which we are to understand will kill him. Like yep. that will kill yep. Shocker. I also I also love uh I don't remember what the setup is for this, but I just like Barnes's like reading of the checks in the mail, baby. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many lines that I just didn't even think like I forgot about. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of uh, great lines in these episodes. Like yes. <laughs> for real. <laughs> it's really good stuff. Oh man. But once again, Spider Man has a flashback um that prevents him from delivering that final blow. This time instead of being Aunt May and Felicia, he has a flashback of Uncle Ben, and that's kind of what prevents him from from doing the thing. Yep, we get to see his like very sad eyes again. <laughs> yes, the sad eyes. The sad eyes. Yeah. Um so that prevents Peter from acting. But what it doesn't prevent is this suit that's now beginning to act on its own from delivering the final blow so the suit itself pushes shocker off the ledge and luckily peter's sort of snapped out of his rage so he's able to save shocker in time before shocker hits the ground so he's able to like just barely get him before he hits the ground we do not, do not end up with a Gwen Stacy situation. I almost did the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been bad. <laughs> Man, it's 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 wild, and that that uh, that you know completely confirms with Peter that there is something wrong with the suit. And then it, we we like kind of see the the true terror of having this thing on him that he's struggling to get off. Mm-hmm. Um, and he almost can't. It's completely by coincidence that it happens to be by a bell that he hits and and then realizes that the sound from the bell can help it uh, detach from him. I, I love the bit where like he remembers the the sonic weapons that the bounty hunters were using. Yeah. And then it's like it's it's a great bit of like writing because it's like could easily be a plot hole, except it's not because Peter explicitly says, like, how did I not know your weakness? Like, it was so obvious. Did you block yeah. it from my did you block it from my mind? Which is a thing that makes the symbiote such like so great as a villain because it's like when it's part of you it can literally like change not only change like how you act and what you're thinking but like how you even you're like your memory how you perceive the world and everything like something that should have been so obvious to peter he couldn't even pick up on and i love that yeah yeah if you you know eddie eddie and the the venom symbiote eventually end up in you know depending on what what story you're reading end up being like very sort of equivalent partners at times where they understand each other they both are in inside each other's heads and whatnot but if you don't fully understand what's going on the symbiote is able to read all of your thoughts and influence your brain and you can't do it back right so that's right. kind of what peter's realizing and that's sort of what what um helps uh him and us understand like the true danger of of him keeping that suit yeah and i this whole sequence he's so vulnerable like he does, he is able to use the sound from the bell to get the suit to melt off of him. Um, but the symbiote itself is sort of taking a little bit of like a, like a pseudo venomy form to try to attack him. First, 
By the way, Peter's in these like really baggy boxers that there's <laughs> no no way he wears that under his like skin tight Spider Man outfit. Um, no. <laughs> and also brings me questions of like what the symbiote does to clothes that I'll, that I'll bring up in the next episode. But anyway, that being said, it is still like Peter Parker basically naked, just like in his underwear. He yeah. literally like is hiding from hiding behind the bell from the symbiote. I love that little bit of acting there. Yeah. This is the most vulnerable that we've ever seen him before. Clearly a really traumatic experience of this thing that has just been in his head, um, kind of controlling his life. That's that's just uh come off. It almost uh like knocks Peter off. Uh he's able to catch himself before falling off of the bell tower, but it's still the the bells are too loud. It still is able to um uh kind of supposedly kill the symbiote and it escape and we know it escapes through a crack in the floor i love that this whole scene too has no no music whatsoever sans the bell ringing yeah. in the background which is so rare for this show we always hear the kind of blaring instrumental and we don't get mm-hmm. this here it really helps with kind of just really it adds like power it adds power it adds like a lot of vulnerability to it and everything so the only thing we really get before that bit is revisited is um we sort of see the 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 resolution of that peter discovered something about the promethean mechs but we don't know why or what and that's that's uh back in alistair's uh and kingpin's lab slash lair or whatever where they're closing the deal on the Prometheum X with the uh, incredibly powerful and wealthy street punks <laughs> and uh, this is where we discover what Peter discovered in that the Prometheum X is sh- I, I just called it shelf life because I don't remember how they described it but basically it only exists in its form for a short period of time and then it transmutes itself into lead I guess so so I guess it's just sort of an unstable element that can only be utilized you know for a certain period of time i don't know that we need to necessarily like think too hard about that but bottom line is it doesn't work anymore <laughs> yeah. yeah it's an alien material i think it was it was kind of a clever solution to it because they, yeah yeah because i mean this is all MacGuffin, and they're able to just kind of get rid of it like yeah. very quickly without anyone doing anything kind of like a war of the worlds kind of thing where it's just like nature defeated it so yeah we don't really need to dwell on it because it's just it's it's been taken care of Yes. <laughs> Speaking of not dwelling on it, uh, we can, the next scene is uh, the episode closes with Eddie Brock, who's still caught up in, in Spidey's webbing. Um, he's now being smothered by the escaped symbiote. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, as we might expect happens, it takes him over. We, I, I love that we don't get a, a, a good view of Venom at all, which is like very true to, I think, what they were trying to do with him in the comics by just making this like mysterious enigma until they finally revealed him. Yeah. But yeah, so we just kind of get, we hear this like very creepy voiceover. We get him um, like this like black suited figure looking at a newspaper of Spider-Man. He says, Spider-Man, enjoy your fame while it lasts and episode ends yes ends with some menacing threat oh yes so we already talked about the face of the episode for this one (laughs) yeah it's the street punks obviously (laughs) yeah i've got a screen cap where they like they're just also particularly like not drawn very well and drawn kind of awkwardly um the one guy's eyes are closed is he like laughing is he winking i don't know what's going on is he another agent ford like yeah agent ford is under the mask (laughs) double agent (laughs) i don't know are they shocker i don't know probably not who knows Mm, who knows (laughs) we'll never know (laughs) we'll never know (laughs) oh man okay we'll talk about our like general thoughts on these episodes we'll just finish off with uh with the next part now 
Yeah, we'll do the 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 we'll do them all as a whole. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, this last episode, episode ten, the alien costume part three. The synopsis per IMDb is the symbiote takes over Eddie Brock to give birth to Venom. Oh my! Now, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Now, Spidey must go up against the most dangerous enemy he's ever faced. One who is stronger, more skilled. Is he though? <laughs> Undetected by his spider sense and knows Spidey's true identity. Dun dun dun. Hmm. Original air date, May 13th, 1995. Uh, in this case, story was by John Semper and Mark Hoffmeyer, and teleplay by Mark Hoffmeyer, who we know very well. Yes. Yeah. There aren't any major characters introduced in this. I think this is the first episode where we don't get new ongoing characters introduced. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. It's yeah. that's interesting. Um, yeah. Definitely can tell that this is like the series evolution. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that'll happen as we as we get further into the series, like... Especially with multi-parters, we're not always going to have major characters introduced because that would get chaotic. But uh, again, we're only nine episodes into this, or ten episodes into this at this point, so they're constantly introducing and building and whatnot. But here we are. We've we've made it to an episode where there aren't more characters. Yes. <laughs> Unless you count, like, Venom as his own character, but <laughs> that's a whole other can of worms. <laughs> yeah, so we start with another another uh, previously on recap. It's also about a minute and 30 seconds long again. So, again, didn't really feel long. This one's packing two episodes worth of stuff into it. Right, so. right. They're getting better at it. They're getting better at it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, this episode opens with um, a shirtless and quite literally throbbing Eddie Brock lifting weights and sweating while thinking about spider-man that is actually what's happening i am not taking liberties with that description (laughs) (laughs) venom is my favorite thing ever (laughs) yeah so that's 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 real (laughs) um and then as he broods and curses spider-man's name he uh oozes um from somewhere and is now covered in the venom suit (laughs) i don't know where but uh, oh, it happens. <laughs> he oozes while surrounded by pictures of Spider-Man from newspaper clippings that mm-hmm. he took, by the way. So, yep. Uh, yep. anyway, mm, take that. That's, a, that's certainly a way to open an episode. <laughs> yes, it is. Wholly appropriate for Venom. <laughs> Very. Very. <laughs> as he as he says from now on we're poison to you spider-man that's why we call ourselves venom <laughs> yeah we get the name yes we do and i like that like he says right off the bat i don't remember what the actual lines are but he's like he talks specifically like like you cast off the symbiote you when it was all like trying to make you stronger like i like that that like their relationship is like the reason that they work so well together is because venom or uh eddie recognizes like how much of like a gift it is to have venom as a part of him um yes. or have the symbiote as a part of him and to be venom like he doesn't see it as a creature taking him over he's just like no this is just another asset in the same way that like i don't know i guess the stereo steroids he's probably taking are it's like another thing that is just going to make him stronger and make him better yeah so it's it's interesting like right off the bat we kind of see such a different perspective for what this thing is yeah and i i like that because that perspective isn't just left there it gets it gets further explored later in this episode so it's not just like a one-off line or anything it's the beginning of a developed understanding of what the symbiote 
is and means. Right. So while Spider-Man is uh, web-slinging downtown as he does, um, he stumbles upon Rhino, who wants to settle their previous score, because they haven't really resolved much of that. Last we saw Rhino, he was nearly being killed by spider-man i think was their last interaction yeah and so um this time spider-man is able to just sort of like wrap that up pretty quickly i think he like throws him through a building wall or tricks him into charging through a building wall or something like that but (laughs) it doesn't end there because shocker also shows up and is like i got a score to settle with you dude we get this really great line um from (laughs) spider-man where he's also surprised that they're both present and and asks them uh how or i guess he asks himself this i don't know asks us perhaps how did they get together computer dating um so you know the relationship stuff continues throughout the episode <laughs> lots of shipping happening uh, yep it's after a thing like, you know after the craven episode i'm just like they are just going full on with this <laughs> with yep. this like this is actual stuff it's it's, it's like, real it's real it's real <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, this fight doesn't last super duper long because it's not the huge focal point. I mean, it's there to to have those characters attempt to settle their score or whatever. And they fight and they battle and all that sort of stuff. And uh, Shocker once again, like, throws a bunch of rubble on, on Spider-Man. It seems to be his expertise is let's electropulse some stuff into an avalanche. The rubble, by the way, like being of a billboard of J. Jonah Jameson, that is like absolutely ridiculous <laughs> because it's like this giant this like giant plaster like model of of him with the billboard which i don't think those things ever exist but yep. i don't know <laughs> but it, it feels a bit you know what what better thing to throw on top of spider-man to add insult to injury you know than <laughs> J. jonah jameson <laughs> yes. So that happens, and um, and Rhino manages to free himself, and Shocker is in a position to to not make the same mistake twice and walk off from rubble-covered Spider-Man. But they are foiled because our boy shows up. Our boy! <laughs> yeah! So here's Venom, and he single-handedly destroys them. Uh, oh, back yeah. Back off. He belongs to us. His tongue is wagging all throughout it as it does. <laughs> Beautiful tongue. I love... <laughs> I'm just going to read my note verbatim that I made while watching this. I love his growly, licky voice. <laughs> his growly, licky voice. <laughs> I don't know if there's a better way to describe it. The one that when he's just talking and he's just like talking about wanting to eat him and you hear his like the tongue sound effects <laughs> and everything. <laughs> yep. It's like weird monster makeout noises. Yeah. Hey, I'm into it. Sorry. But <laughs> no shaming here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that happens. He makes like total mincemeat of them. Yeah. Spider-Man witnesses none of this though. Cause he's still covered in rubble. Yeah, which I love because he like wakes up prepared to fight again and he sees that they're already like webbed up and he's like, uh, what? <laughs> yep. Yeah. What happened? Yeah. And then I, I love this whole scene too. Really? Actually, this whole sequence is really good because Eddie Brock shows up in human form. Mm-hmm. Which, first of all, I love that they draw him like just in his turtleneck without his without his jacket. I just like when characters are in like not their normal model clothes. <laughs> so that was like cool, regular people, right? And it, so it's cool that like he made the choice to like not be in his jacket to show that like it doesn't matter what he's wearing anymore. So uh, yeah, so he shows up. Um, I also love that like Hank Azaria's line reading is a lot through this episode. They're kind of like extra high pitched, and his voice is like kind of cracking sometimes. 
Yeah. And I think because he's trying to be like extra smug and like kind of extra funny. And it's, it's really, I like it because it adds this like kind of extra flair to him while Mm -hmm. he's just messing with Peter the entire time. And this is the first time that he does it because he's just like, oh yeah, I just, I got on the roof just like you did. Cause I also know you're Peter Parker. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like to be like Peter Parker at this point, like what the F is happening right now? (laughs) Yeah. This guy that he knows doesn't, like him shows up on a roof like x number of stories up and says that he got there the same way and then also name drops him specifically like i i have to imagine that peter is just like he's got to imagine that he's still knocked out because <laughs> nothing right. is making any sense right and i love this because in the context of this show this is the first time that anyone's ever figured out his secret identity too yeah like no one's even gotten close to it at any point so it's it's got to be like i love how this is played up as being rightfully like not just frightening but just like baffling because it's like Mm -hmm. how does this how does this happen right but but he doesn't you know eddie brock doesn't let this mystery (laughs) go for very long Um, so as scary as it is that he, he identifies Peter, um, and toys with him a little bit, he does pretty much straight up reveal what's going on. Um, we get sort of Venom slash Eddie basically saying Eddie Brock isn't the same guy he once was. And then you see the, the suit sort of take over, um, Eddie and we just see like Venom as is once again. Introduced as our better half by the way yes yes <laughs> <laughs> i love it <laughs> yeah this is really great i mean they immediately he immediately like throw a spider-man but and i love like it's a it's a really like tiny little detail but after spider gets thrown he lands and then runs back after like to tackle uh venom but like he runs on all fours like he lands on all fours and he runs on all fours <laughs> spider-man so cool. does he does, yeah. Oh. I think because it's sort of because he lands in his like typical Spider-Man pose, where it's like yeah. his arms on the ground, right? But then he like he like just like vaults at him on all fours. It's crazy. Like it almost reminded me of how like uh, how the gargoyles would sometimes be animated, like running on mm. all fours. Like it's 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 a, just a really brief bit, and he never does it any other time. But like it's really cool because it feels like almost just like very like instinctual. Uh, yeah, sort of a visceral response. reaction. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's such a it's such a little thing, but it's so cool. Yeah, this is where we get um, a really, really, really cool line. It's not really a line. It's like a whole explanation. Um, but basically, you know, we, we see that, that Eddie has a different attitude and respect for the symbiote than Peter did. He much more willingly accepts it as, as a partner. Venom is much, much happier to be with Eddie as someone who sort of isn't rejecting him. Um, and so we get this really cool um how how would you describe this it's like um look at what you're missing out on yeah sort of type thing yeah i wrote the whole thing down because i i I was having a hard time describing it but basically venom says that he and eddie brock are the perfect pair and is basically saying like you're missing out he says we're now part of a life force that has existed since the dawn of time Imagine what you've turned down, Parker. Think of all this knowledge. We've seen thousands of worlds, millions of civilizations, learned many secrets, always with but one goal above all else, to survive. And now we're sharing those secrets with Eddie Brock. We're very happy together. (laughs) So he's basically like like a a lover scorned, you know, Mm -hmm. flaunting his new boyfriend in front of Peter. It's like literally Mm -hmm. like what this is all about, but also Mm -hmm. appealing specifically to Peter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so interesting because yeah. Well, and you know that like Peter's a smart guy. He likes knowledge and it's, I think that's, that's like the one piece of these episodes that really 
hammers down that the, that the symbiote really is sentient because mo- mm-hmm. we really don't get any other implication. And I feel like this is a case of seeing it learn. Like it learned that if maybe if it had given this knowledge to Peter, maybe it wouldn't, maybe he wouldn't have rejected it. So it's like, okay, well I got rejected by this guy. This guy has a lot of hatred for the same guy. We can bond over it. And I'm going to like, make sure that he knows just how great I am. I'm just going to like feed him all this information and give him access to this knowledge that like I didn't give previously and it didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. It like knows what, what its host needs or wants most and, and sort of weaponizes that, but to yeah. its advantage. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, that's sort of the reading that you could give to it by saying that this is like essentially being in a relationship with like a narcissistic abuser mm. where it's like, it knows exactly what you want to hear and it's going to say all of that. And you're going to totally buy it because it's really good at selling it. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because you wonder, like, what's the like, it, it always feels like flaunting and it always feels scorned. But uh, but I do wonder, like, what if Peter was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like, come back. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> well, that's the thing. That's the thing, because in, in the comics, there's that bit where Peter defeats it uh, at one point by, like, saying, like, hey, come back i know you want me and it's just like all right sure you're the one i really love and like yeah. abandons eddie to go back to him <laughs> which you know we don't see that in the show so it doesn't right. really in its context but it's still interesting because there is this really interesting dynamic of like you have this like creepy like, kind of like manipulative narcissism thing where it's like eddie is legitimately like into it peter isn't into it but peter is the one that the symbiote possibly really wants we don't know for sure it's a lot of gray area there right and it's like that kind of gray area that i think the venom movie was maybe trying to go go with but didn't really execute very well Mm -hmm. um i think the gray area is done really well because we don't really know what the ultimate goals and motivations are for the symbiote independently right yeah like what is it getting out of it like or what does it perceive itself getting out of it right like does the symbiote want peter because peter already has this power that other human hosts wouldn't um you know that's that's an element of it but then eddie brock also is a perfect pair because you know eddie brock has similar goals of vengeance and hatred and stuff so it is yeah it's, it's it's definitely interesting to sort of ponder in universe. Yeah, yeah, and you can look at it in totally different ways. I and I, I, I love that about it. I love that it's yeah. not it's not really explicit one way or another, and it doesn't really take a side. And you can infer a lot of different things. And it doesn't feel like the episode's like it doesn't feel like a cop out that it ever answers those questions. It's no. just that like you sometimes really can't know what <laughs> what a person really wants. You know. Yeah. Well, and like you said, we so rarely get the the symbiote's actual like uh, distilled perspective that right. I don't know that we are really expecting to ever get an explanation nor should we that's true yeah i also want to add so peter says uh, like symbiote eddie says symbiote (laughs) and then like everybody else says symbiote i was wondering if this was going to come up (laughs) (laughs) just throwing that out there at least no one says how they said it in the venom that like venom trailer that they like redub where it's symbiote yeah no one says that so that's fine Yeah, we don't get any symbiotes in the in the animated series, <laughs> which makes sense because the animated series is what created that, you know, widespread preferred pronunciation for Spider-Man fans everywhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Venom does not really stick around, doesn't need to, is basically toying with Peter. But Spider-Man obviously wants to 
convince Eddie Brock to to ditch the symbiote because he's he's afraid of it. He knows how dangerous it is. And the way that he does this is really interesting. And I, I can't I keep going back and forth on whether I like this or not. But basically, Spider-Man goes to find information in Brock's old apartment, which has been you know, abandoned because he was evicted in order to track Venom. And and he he goes through Brock's trash and finds an invoice for Atlas Gym Equipment. So what he does is he then calls Atlas Gym Equipment <laughs> and pretends to be Brock and says, hey, I just wanted to confirm the address that you sent my latest shipment to. And that's sort of how he figures out where Brock is hanging out lately. I don't even know if that explanation made sense, but it's... No. It's like clever, but it's also strange. (laughs) Yeah. First of all, I don't understand why Eddie, who has like this power now, doesn't just like break into his own apartment and live there rather than just be like, I guess I'm evicted. I got a new apartment now. Well, I think that's one thing that's very confusing to me is like, why is he not in his own apartment? Yeah, because this has only been like the span of like a day or two, presumably that not long at least and we know that like right after he got evicted is when like shocker attacked and then he like followed them and and, and became venom so it's like it's kind of weird like where's he hanging out I, I mean he has a new address i guess i guess him as venom like applied for another apartment like i don't know Who, why has no one told me the secret because i've been searching for an apartment right? for like months <laughs> right i don't no, I mean, I guess he could have like killed the owner of some other apartment and lived there. Ooh, but then why? That's it. He just... No, I'm accepting that. But then why doesn't he stay in his old apartment if he's going to do that? Is it a nicer apartment to be in? I don't know. Because <laughs> he didn't go get his old stuff from his old apartment. <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> I don't know, but he's in a new apartment. Spider-Man figures it out using trash. Yep, and using. And I love that. Like when he he's doing it for like the gym equipment, and they have a picture of a bodybuilder that just—it's a bodybuilder, but it also looks like every single character on this show. Yeah, because so. everyone has a bodybuilder bod. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> just want to point that out. Yep. <laughs> but yep, I do yep. like that. Like that, we we also get a glimpse of like Peter kind of hallucinating Venom everywhere, like he hallucinates. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting because it, it it's underplayed, but I think like. The idea that Peter really went through a traumatic experience with the symbiote, which is valid. I think that like that's what we're supposed to kind of that's what's kind of implied is that it was a very traumatic experience for him. And then seeing it resurface like essentially as like his greatest enemy incarnate has just like thrown him off the deep end immediately. I think like there's an argument that maybe it happens too fast that like, oh, he's been in he's been in bad circumstances and didn't like lose his mind. But I think it's kind of valid here considering like the very personal trauma that he kind of went through. No, I think it's I think it's super valid because we've we've established that it messed with his mind, that it's very invasive. He feels like he's lost or he felt like he had lost some sort of control and was changing involuntarily. And we will see that he's not the only one who has some of these understated traumatic reactions to the Venom symbiote. Ooh, good segue. Yeah. Yeah. Good transition into the next scene. First of all, Robbie gives Peter some loose clippings about Brock um, that Peter requested. Says it was for a school project, which... Okay. Robbie, why are you okay with this? Right, right. <laughs> like, here's information on my, like, former employee. <laughs> anyway. Also, do they not know that, that, that Peter is, like, a scientist student? Yeah, you'd think. <laughs> Robbie would know. Jameson might not know, but Robbie would know. <laughs> it's, <Whatever>. pos- <laughs> it's possible that he was going to question it further before like what we were segueing to is that john That's jameson true. shows up the- i have so many questions okay 
Because no. John Jameson, <laughs> uh, this is this is like a big deal where John Jameson gets out of the hospital, right? Like, my son is returned, declares J. Jonah Jameson. But if he's returning from the hospital, why are they wheeling him into the Daily Bugle? <laughs> and true or false, he's wearing his hospital gown still. God, he is. He is. And that's like, oh, God, who wants to be in a hospital gown, like, in public for that long? How did he get back to the Daily Bugle in only a hospital gown? Was he rolled the whole way? Did they put him in a (laughs) helicopter? Was he rolling around a helicopter? Did he, like, get out of his wheelchair and get back into his wheelchair? This seems like a lot of work for Jameson. And also, why is he not going home to his bed? Right. I mean, is it like like a crazy like ego thing for Jameson? Like, oh, I know you're tired, but I just want to show you off and show you <laughs> show off how great you are. My trophy my son. My trophy son. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's man. so strange. Oh man. So weird. But the nice thing about it is we do end up getting another person, John Jameson, referencing the trauma that happens from interacting with or being attacked by Venom, because John also. Um, has been having nightmares about the black ooze, which we saw Peter have. Yeah. It's very simple, very quick, very sort of understated, but we do get enough of Peter sort of like reacting to that, or at least like, I don't know, sort of like honing in on that detail that it's significant. Yeah, that no, when that's true. And we, you know, we, we don't know like what the symbiote was actually doing to them in that spacecraft, right? Like it was probably trying to bond with them. Right. It bonded with Peter in his sleep. And we can see that even, even when he was like dreaming <laughs> or even mm-hmm. when he was asleep, he was dreaming stuff kind of traumatic. Eddie kind of like willingly let it, let it take him over. But like, if you're awake and like trying to do other stuff and it's trying to take you over, like, what is that like? Like that might actually be a completely utterly painful traumatic experience. Right. So Peter and John have this sort of post-trauma in common, which is, I mean, it's not cool that they're going through that, but it's cool that the show keeps that sort of consistent. Yeah. Yeah. And it makes the whole, I mean, it makes the symbiote like scarier as, as a villain too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And during the scene too, we do get an important bit of, uh, of exposition where they reference that, John already like <laughs> a week after a week after this whole ordeal has has a, a satellite that's being launched now uh, that's been renamed uh, like or <laughs> named after him probably yep. been renamed I'm sure they didn't just plan a satellite launch in a week so probably yeah. already had a name and they decided to rename it in honor of John Jameson yes <laughs> yes space hero. <laughs> After that, we get uh, Peter does leave the bugle. I love this, too. He's changing into a Spidey costume in the alley. Um, and he's interrupted by Brock, who's just, like, hanging out on a wall in his civilian clothes, watching him. This show loves to have their um, spider-capable people stand perpendicular on walls. <laughs> yeah, very true. Like, Peter did it in the previous episode where he's, like, standing straight up on the wall, so he's, like, parallel to the ground. I'm pretty sure Brock is doing the same thing in this scene. (laughs) Yeah, it's good. And I love that he's just like, he doesn't even like care about like a secret identity or whatever. He's just like, yeah, I'm just me. I'm on a wall, whatever. I'm just going to taunt you. And just kind of shows that like he can just show up whenever. And I guess, I I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but it is like firmly established that he doesn't set off uh, Peter's spider sense. So it makes him even more of a threat that he can just show up like this when Peter is changing clothes into Spider-Man. Right. And he threatens to reveal his identity to uh, to Jameson, which uh, that immediately leads into like a really big and very fun, fun, pretty, uh, pretty fun chase sequence. So I wanted to point out the chase sequence because there's some like dialogue that I love. 
So there are people like watching this happen, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like some mumbling. Oh and my stuff gosh! Like that. <laughs> you can usually like, in, and you can't really make out what's ha- like what they're saying. Right, because it's so many voices just right. talking over each other that you're just sort of like, ah, eh, okay, it's a crowd. With with the captions, you can make out distinctly what one woman says, which is and I even love her like line reading. She says, "Look up there, it's two Spider Men, or is that two Spider Mans?" <laughs> <laughs> I just love that whoever was put in charge of captioning that had a choice. Like they right. they got to choose which voices to highlight and they did it correctly. They chose the <laughs> <Yeah>. right voices. <laughs> it's just like Cuz we love, don't get like, captions for anyone else. <laughs> right, it's just that lady. And I love like I love the line. I kind of botched it when I was reading it off, but it's like I love the way that she like puts the emphasis like or is it two spider mans? That's what you're that's what you're freaked out about. Like that's what you're worried about watching this watching these two spider people. Like what is like the correct grammar for addressing two spider people? <laughs> you know what it feels very much like? It feels very much like NPC dialogue in a video game. Yes. Like that's something someone would say either in a PS4 game or very, very much so the type of thing somebody would say in a Lego superhero game, because all of those char- like all those NPCs are just like ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it's it feels very much like that and i love it <laughs> oh man it's so good so venom does uh does catch up to spidey they end up on uh the bugle's roof helipad where they fight um there's a lot of great quips from venom like they're not good in terms of like being good quips but they're good in terms of like being from venom because they're so bad and like basic (laughs) he's just like like oh we don't hate you we're your biggest fans he says as he throws like a fan blade like they're so bad but like that's the kind of stuff that i love from venom that works so well because to see this like hulking dangerous scary creature like saying the worst puns that not even like spider like spider-man has bad puns but they're not that bad (laughs) compared to like venom's really bad ones I mean, what makes a maniacal, cannibalistic murderer even scarier? Puns, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> to know that they are they are so casually trying to kill and eat you that they can deliver puns at the same time. <laughs> yep. Also more lovable. <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, but throughout the sequence, we get a, a great one where Venom rips off Spider-Man's mask, uh, webs him up yeah. and dead dangles him off the building in front of the crowd of people that saw this chase happening which includes jameson and robbie oh, man it's it's so good but uh but and it and it doesn't it wouldn't work like in in 2019 obviously because everyone have a cell phone but right in this context it works great because jameson sees that there's a tv camera tries to use it tries to focus it but can't focus um can't use the <laughs> zoom correctly <laughs> and they do you know like i i i was like it, making fun of it in my head and a little bit in the notes the fact that he can't figure out the camera but they do they do have a number of lines where he's shouting stay still so it's not just that he can't figure out the camera but i'd just like to point out jay jonah jameson can't figure out how to zoom a camera <laughs> <laughs> it's very cute it's very cute yeah i still love the guy on the street that uh like uh, that oh gets the my mask. gosh what is that <laughs> he puts on the mask <laughs> does a spider-man pose and says like check it out dude i'm spider-man because that's i guess like, how who is Spider-Man this guy talks <laughs> like what what <laughs> What is it? I feel like this is the unbearable friend that you're like, why are you still here? Yeah. And I love <laughs> the home. idea that he just like puts on what potentially a very unsanitary mask from a stranger Ugh. could be like, 
could be like a mutant spider creature thing that like oozes like poisonous stuff you they don't know it could be spiders <laughs> man under there it could be he could be putting on a mask <laughs> covered in spiders <laughs> ew <laughs> check it out dude <laughs> check it out what a weird guy Very weird. but because um you know because venom is dangling him for so long and and jameson can't figure out the camera and all this sort of stuff peter does manage to to get away before anybody can identify him um and he he puts basically like a cloth over his face to keep his identity a secret while he while he flees so that nobody can snap that pick <laughs> it's good yeah yeah and he immediately goes to the theater where uh, he was supposed to be meeting mary jane for a date which first time we've seen her in a while which is interesting did they set that up Nope. In this episode that he was supposed to meet her for a date? No, I think his first line about it is when he shows up and he's just like, oh man, I was supposed to meet Mary Jane here for a date, but now Venom's out there. Like That's sort of uncharacteristic for this show. That's true, Not like yeah. a big problem because other shows wouldn't even... Like, I wouldn't bat my eyes at other shows doing that, but this show tends to be really good about that. Well, especially given how how frequently he, like, kind of bounces between love interests in this show, too. Exactly. Like, usually usually they try to very specifically establish, like, this is the episode where he's pursuing Mary Jane. Right. (laughs) So... It's a little weird, but it, it gives us this kind of cool sequence where we where we first really see Brock stalking him in his personal life. Yes. Um, like really utilizing the idea that I know everything about you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's super creepy because he basically stalks MJ to where she is, which is exactly where Peter shows up. So Peter meets up with MJ at the theater, and then she has this otherwise innocent comment about like, oh, I just met up with a friend of yours. He says he knows you, and right behind her is Eddie Brock. And so Peter's like, oh my gosh, like, nope, we're not doing this today. Not happening. Um, And Peter pull, like literally grabs MJ and pulls her away um, from the theater. And she understandably is like, what is going on? What is wrong with you? Um, And Peter doesn't really give any sort of explanation because he's terrified and frantic or whatever but he does he does sort of offer um brock's a weirdo okay like (laughs) like that's his (laughs) his frantic explanation for why why they can't um hang around while brock is there (laughs) it kind of works like it kind of works because like for one peter is obviously like very traumatized freaking out he's like literally hallucinating but it's also like I think that is actually a valid thing, like, when it's like, no, hey, by the way, this is some dude that you don't, that's, like, creepy and we should stay away from. Like, that's a thing that happens in real life. Yeah, no, that, that's that's totally valid, especially if he was, like, um, you know, if he, if, I don't know, if he, all he would have to do is say, like, I've never talked to Eddie about you before. Yeah. You know, like, we're not, like, Eddie and I are not actually friends. Yeah. Then, yeah, it, my... <laughs> it becomes sort of a uh, weird, creepy situation that I think MJ could understand. But He's my crazy psycho ex. <laughs> yeah exactly right <laughs> but you know peter does pull that sort of like actually line for line do you trust me do you trust me that we also get in aladdin before they jump out of the window <laughs> <laughs> and and just says you know mj trust me like this is this is not a guy you want to deal with and i can't tell you any more than that and mj says okay fine um, which i don't love but it's not that unrealistic yeah and I guess, like, MJ is pretty, more than, like, Felicia, MJ is pretty smitten with Peter, I think. So yeah. it's, it, it's, val- it, it, it's, it's okay. It's one of those things where, like, so far the show hasn't really written its women very well at all. So yeah. particularly, like, how their relationships with, relationships with Peter have played out. So it's just kind of part of that because there's not really any reason that MJ would have to trust him. But I can, yeah. I can buy it, even though it's kind of weak. 
Yeah, it's not their best, um, not their best work, <laughs> but yeah. it's certainly not their worst work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we get another very good scene. Um, after this, uh, Peter has um, left MJ at home, which I feel like it's kind of weird that he's just like, all right, I guess she'll be okay at her house where Brock would probably know where she is. But anyway, it gets us to this, uh, to this <laughs> very good scene back at his house where Brock has followed Peter home. Um, and this is another one I think it's pretty like pretty much right out of the comics where he opens the door and Brock is just there waiting, charming himself to Aunt May, but he's obviously just messing with Peter, showing that like he will show up wherever, uh, like wherever he wants to in Peter's life. They fight a little bit like in civilian clothes, uh, right in the in like the front lawn, and Brock almost like pushes a tree into the house. Um, yeah, which is I I love that whole moment because like. It's it's really Peter like on the end of his ropes here because he's just like screaming for him like Brock like while he's holding this tree that's about to crash and destroy his house yeah and like he really is on the end of his rope and I, and I love it because it's just like again kind of like the end of the last episode it's just like this is Peter at his most vulnerable and he's not like literally vulnerable like he was in part two but he's like emotionally and like psychologically vulnerable throughout well, his entire one he's realizing um like the fuller threat that that the combo of eddie and venom is right you know it's like all crashing down around him where it's like oh my gosh can i even escape is there anywhere i can go where he can't find me or somebody that i love right oh man i dig it that's that's the kind of stuff that's really that i think is like really great about venom as a character and just like what he is at his core not to say that like that that kind <laughs> is of that stuff... he's a really really talented stalker <laughs> <laughs> i mean <laughs> Not like great is in like I'm horny for the stalker, but in that like <laughs> it makes him a good a good villain. I should right, say specifically because right, right. they've done that with other Spider-Man characters before, but this is like completely like fundamental to Venom as a character that like he always knows who Peter Parker is. There's no amnesia involved. There's never a point where he didn't. He always knew who Peter Parker was. He is always a threat whenever he's thinking that he needs to get revenge on Peter Parker, which is most of the time. Right. Yeah, no, it makes him incredibly effective. Yeah. So Venom does, um, does flee that, um, interaction. He basically throws the, the tree against the house this whole time he's really just toying with peter you know he's not he's not showing up so that he can beat peter up he's showing up to mess with him mm-hmm. um but uh peter like you said is at the end of his rope and decides he has to do something about this so um we actually see venom returning to his own apartment as opposed to seeing peter take action but then realize that peter beat him to his apartment i guess um venom i guess stopped for i don't know he stopped for eggs (laughs) Eggs? raw meat who knows (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah he, he beat he beat venom to eddie's apartment and we find out what those news clippings were and what they were for um his way of sort of messing with eddie back um and trying to weaken eddie is to plaster all these news stories about how eddie's been fired from this job and that job and embarrassed and humiliated and all the ways he screwed up as a reporter which really is a button for eddie brock (laughs) you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so it's a way of of sort of um bringing eddie brock uh, or throwing eddie brock off of his game which obviously then um affects venom as well Mm-hmm. yeah i think it's good because it's, it's a good capper to his character because this whole i mean we've joked about like the whole running gag of him getting fired like all the time <laughs> yeah. but that's obviously like a big part of of what he's what his beef is and and you know i think it's pretty implied that he has some kind of inferiority complex like i think it's a little more pronounced like in the comics but even in this show like 
he he is constantly failing and constantly wants to show the world that he's something like people who are usually like big bodybuilders often have a <laughs> complex too so it kind of checks out so yeah so any any attack on his ego in this way and just being like look how much you failed it's it's really it's really like brilliant from a character writing standpoint mm-hmm. and i like that like th- this is one of the things that as episodic as this first season has technically been, we have seen this thread from episode one and it all checks out and it, yep. it's a really great payoff of what's been set up for so long. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really, really good. Yeah. So uh, because of this, like uh, th- this is part of Spider-Man's plan, right? So he's, he's using these like newspaper clippings to rile Venom up, get him to chase him. Um, the chase ensues. Uh, across the city, they eventually end up down into the subway, and they have like um, well, Spider Man like lands on the subway. Venom like face plants off the train, um, <laughs> which <laughs> is so funny to me because they're like running along this train, right? And yeah. in a very very classic running along a train move, um, Spider Man I think ducks under a bridge, and I think Venom attempts to jump over the bridge. And so Spider-Man keeps going and Venom is like standing on the bridge and is like, oh, I got to get back on the train, but just like misses the train and like <laughs> smashes into the ground, like yeah. as if he has no other way to get to the train. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. <laughs> I also like, so I appreciate, first of all, this was supposed to be kind of an homage to Strangers on a Train. There's literally a sequence where they're riding a train. Just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and also there's, <laughs> uh, there's this is like tangentially related but there's in the in the spider-man game that i really like from from uh, 2000 mm-hmm. there's a whole sequence where you have to like in one of the venom levels where you're riding atop a subway train in the sewers and venom will like randomly attack you and if you have to fight off some like henchmen um but yeah it's really cool i want to think that this, that was inspired by this episode too because it's that's a pretty cool sequence that we haven't really like seen a lot of where they're fighting where like the two characters are fighting atop like a moving vehicle of some sort so yeah and i'm always i'm always into that me too yeah it's it's good but (laughs) i love where it leads us so venom does figure out how to get to the train and how to pursue (laughs) spider-man is (laughs) to uh jump into a tractor trailer um steal one and i like that at first he's eddie brock starting to drive but then he's just like nah i should be venom for this while i'm driving this truck which brings us to like my favorite image of like anything ever, which is Venom driving a tractor trailer, hogging on his horn while like <laughs> while just like looking open faced uh, or open mouth at Spider Man on the train, basically being like pull over. Yep. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's like road rage, like yelling at the car next to you, like get off the road. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. I love it. Oh, man. <laughs> I love, I like like the GIF version of it. I like just the screenshot, which is the face of this episode. Obviously. Just the best thing of all time. When else are you going to see Venom (laughs) hogging a horn in a tractor trailer? (laughs) It's so, it's so good. And it's a purple truck, which just somehow makes it even better. Of course it is. It's a beautiful, beautiful (laughs) color palette. (laughs) Of course it is. Yeah. Speaking of color palette too, I didn't really mention this, but like, it's so interesting the choice to shade Venom in red and blue. Yeah. It's weird. We haven't even really talked about like the Venom design in this, in this show. And I don't know that we necessarily have to, but it is interesting that they, they choose both blue and red because red typically isn't, you know, associated with Venom. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, it, it, it parallels Spider-Man's suit. So you can kind of see why they chose to do it. Yeah. But, but then when, when, uh, when Spider-Man had the suit on, it was, all blue shading which is kind of interesting Mm -hmm. yeah that is strange 
I think it was like a combination of paralleling Spider-Man and also maybe foreshadowing Carnage a little bit, I mm. guess. I, it'll be interesting. Do you know off the top of your head, once Carnage is in the show, does Venom continue to be both blue and red in, in highlight? I remember him him having those same highlights. Yes. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. It is interesting. Yeah, because I don't think that you ever see that in the comics. But yeah, I do. I like his design in general. It's I think the lips that he has are kind of weird. <laughs> I was going <laughs> to say, he does have lips in this, which I think serve only to sort of s- to break things up. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Since everything else is highlighted, I actually think it might look strange not to highlight the area around his lips somehow. It's like the only way that they outline this all black character. Yeah, that's but true. It is it is an interesting look because he doesn't doesn't really have lips. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just it's very weird. <laughs> it is very it is very weird. Yeah, I'm not. I've told this before. I'm not into his the design of his butt either because Venom should be like thick. He's thick. <laughs> so yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> he's in a truck. <laughs> yes. Uh, in a truck, uh, which is great, um, but he does eventually get out of the truck when the train ends up at the rocket launch site, um, which, of course, was foreshadowed earlier that there was going to be a satellite launch happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so this was part of Spidey's plan. The, the rocket is starting to launch, and then Spidey kind of like leads uh, Venom up, like up the rafters, like climbing to get as close to the rocket as possible. And I love the idea that like Spider-Man says outright, like, this might kill me. Like this might completely destroy my molecules being yeah. close to a rocket. Unlike what happened when he was in like with the rocket testing in Doc Ock episode, like they were fine there, but he acknowledges that in <laughs> real life you might be melted by a rocket launch. Well, he also says like, if I, if I have to, basically he says, if I have to get launched with this rocket, but it means that you're going up into space, like that's what it takes. Like, yeah, you know, whatever it takes, if I have to go with you, like I'm getting you off this planet. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I mean, it's this is the first time we've really seen seen him be very like legit self-sacrificing. Yeah. Self-sacrificing, which I think lends credence to like how far this whole situation has pushed him, like how traumatized he is by it, where it's just like at this point, I just want it to all be over. <laughs> oh yeah. This is the kind of the the final the the final sequence of it, um which Again, it's interesting that Spider-Man really only defeats Venom by sheer luck in this. Like, if there wasn't a rocket launching in New York happening, he wouldn't have been able to defeat him, theoretically. Like, this is the only thing that's that's able to stop him. Yeah. I mean, but they do set it up, so it's not like he stumbles upon it. I, I, I would like to think he could come up with some sort of plan. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's bad. I think it's more, more a testament to how Venom is presented as such a uh, hard villain to beat. Like how, yeah, that you need how like extreme possibly. circumstances in order to accomplish it. <laughs> yeah. Like if he was in any other situation, like it's, it's entirely possible that he might not have been able to defeat him if the circumstances around him weren't like giving him like a way out to form a plan. Yeah. Like, I think that's really, that's really well done because again, up to this point, like any other villain he's faced, it's like, he comes up with a cool idea like, and he's able to enact it. But this one, like his cool idea involves something that's like very rarely ever happening. Yeah. It's almost, uh, yeah, it's like, it's, 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 uh, it's almost desperate. Like he needs such an extreme scenario and happens to be able to take advantage of one. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> But he does end up um, managing to get the suit off of Brock as a result of the the rocket firing. Um, and then he attaches the the detached symbiote to the rocket that's about to fly into space. And uh, it does fly into space with the symbiote attached to it. So as far as we know, it's 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 been launched into 
space. Mm-hmm. Um, Spider-Man does manage to pull Brock away from the situation and sort of leaves him in like a, um, I guess kind of like a hallway or like a... It's like an a, elevator, I thought. Yeah. Is it is that what it is? I think it's an elevator. Like the elevator that would take them up to the to the platform to board a shuttle, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he like slings off, like uh, yeah. so that that no one can can get him because he's still he's not he's not not a popular guy that Spider Man. <laughs> yeah. So he doesn't stick around. Yeah, but now, Brock is safe. He is. I have questions though. So okay, so uh, when Peter sh- when Peter is overtaken by the symbiote he's in his pajamas when he sheds the symbiote costume costume he's in his boxers uh-huh. when brock is overtaken by the symbiote he's in full clothes sweatshirt uh jacket and everything when he loses the symbiote he just has pants and shoes on but like no shirt so what <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i actually just don't think that the i don't actually think that that like anyone would even wear clothes if they like accepted the yeah. symbiote as their suit. I I go by that theory too. I think that's one thing that I think Spider-Man th- well, even Spider-Man 3 bugged me because when when Peter sheds it in that movie, he's like totally naked, but then like when Eddie Brock sheds it, he's fully clothed even though like just before it like you see points when he like takes his, the mask comes off and it like sheds down like onto his like his uh, chest area and you kind of see his like bare shoulders so obviously there's not a shirt under it but then it starts yeah. back it that really bugs me like you know what just like either have him naked or have him be fully clothed but we can't go both ways yeah like, the unless... in between is weird yeah unless the symbiote's like slowly eating away the clothes it's no. absorbed i don't think fully so. reject <laughs> fully fully reject because here's the thing <laughs> Either it um, can absorb and transform the clothing, or it becomes the clothing. There's no reason for it to be both, right? Yeah. So, like, if it can transform, if it itself can transform into clothing, there is no use for you to wear anything underneath unless you're just grossed out. But even then, like, what happens to your clothes? Is it just, it's just, like, plastered up against you? That seems like it makes no sense. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think at the very, very, very most, just because I could see people you know being compelled is like all they're wearing is underwear yeah but that's the most clothing i think anybody would actually wear if they like accepted the symbiote as a as clothing yeah because the other thing is when it transforms into clothing what happens to your clothes that you're wearing underneath right like if you have like a wallet or like a cell phone or something in your pocket like what happens to it like you wouldn't want that to just disappear you know yeah (laughs) so i don't know i yeah i'm i'm going with uh to little to no clothing yeah bottom line there should have been more naked people in spider-man the animated series so sticking with that (laughs) yep 100 percent, definitely (laughs) (laughs) okay well we're so close to the end of this one so (laughs) the uh the very last scene it's a pretty quick crapper we don't really find out what happens to brock or anything after this and you know that's fine we'll we'll meet him later on down the line of the show anyway so right um we don't really address it um so the episode just ends with peter and mj kind of having a, a nice little moment together looking up at the stars and peter talks about how he's just admiring the stars and mj mentions how she's wondering what's out there we get a nice little shot of the moon where peter once more kind of hallucinates venom so See, yeah this is what i'm talking about with the moon the yeah. moon is in the nightmare venom appears in the moon when they're staring at the moon it's very confusing yeah. either be yeah. the moon or don't be the moon that's true <laughs> lots of moon stuff yeah yeah it's it's interesting it's, and it 
It's butts symbology is what it is. Butts symbology. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> Draw them rounder, Mr. Richardson. Yes. Please, for me, for all of us, <laughs> no one wants them to look like so flat like that. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> and that closes the three-parter. Is that sort of like, um, we end on this sort of like, what did happen to the symbiote? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're good for now. <laughs> yeah. I like the ominousness of it because it's it's yeah. not a it's not a pat ending at all. But it's not like uh it's not like a typical cliffhanger where it's like oh ho 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 you know what I mean? Yeah, leaves it yeah. open, but it's not obnoxious. Yeah, when it, and even it's kind of been set up with Peter's character too because I feel like. He's not really even trying to question what's happening. He's just like, I'm just glad that I don't have to deal with this anymore. <laughs> right, it's I'm gone tired. for now. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Poor Peter probably hasn't slept since that nightmare. <laughs> oh, man, I know, right? <laughs> yeah, oh, man. These episodes are really good. <laughs> they are very good. I, I, I like all three of them. Um, I, I don't feel like the middle one, despite um, not being part of the original plan, weighs it down or flimsies it up at all there's very little that i feel like there is to criticize in here and the stuff that we do sort of offer critiques for is so easy to ignore because everything surrounding it is so good yeah yeah i'd agree with that i think like yeah there it's a really solid three-parter um and it i I think it was almost kind of a proof of concept for them to see like how well they could do these ongoing storylines for things. Um, right. Not only, not only is it three episodes as, as one story, but it is also three episodes that are utilizing so many different pieces of the show that have already been established where like you can get their relationships, but you kind of have, will have needed to see previous episodes to fully appreciate what's happening. Yeah. And like, you know, obviously we know that ends up being what is a permanent mainstay of the show, pretty much after after the season is over just after a, a few episodes i think like if i were to to like rank them i think the first part is probably the strongest one or at least my favorite one but i think it really has more to do that like the animation's a lot better and i think there's kind of that mystery involved with what's happening but i mean like part two does a lot of like a lot of work a lot of plot work and a lot of like character work for peter to to kind of get to its end point and like the last episode is just like a prolonged stalker chase sequence with venom and spider-man which is like perfect which is exactly what you want to see with a venom and spider-man story yeah i think they're all they're all of a high quality so i think it really just boils down to like what you enjoy watching most with these three um and i think Maybe for me, maybe part three is my favorite um, because it's kind of scary and has sort of a terror element to it. Um, And so then maybe three, one, two, if I had to rank them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd say one, one, three, two for me. But again, like it's all it's all so it's very like minor (laughs) because all of them are good. All of them are very solid. Two being uh, on the bottom of our list for these is like out of default. Something has to be there. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think it's just it's it's the middle section. So it's where like the least interesting stuff is happening because it's the middle section, but it's still interesting stuff that's happening in it. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just it's good stuff. It, it It's no surprise that, you know, we've mentioned everybody loves these episodes. No surprise at all. They're they're good. They hold up. You know, it's not like something that you remember fondly and it sucks when you revisit it. This is still good. Yeah, no hot takes about this one. <laughs> No, uh, no, yeah. we don't need any hot takes here. It's good stuff. Good stuff is good. Yeah, and it's fun revisiting a part of your childhood where you realize, like, oh, maybe 
the taste that I have now maybe to spawn from being a six year old and watching (laughs) the naked gray man with polishing his horn and the naked, I mean, even Spider-Man, you see a lot more of his lines. Venom Mm -hmm. is basically just like a naked, a naked guy, like a naked monster guy. Not a great, butt, but, but it's, it's okay. It's still, yeah, I'm talking, I'm talking too much. Um, (laughs) That's all right. The people who are here with us at the end of this episode, don't mind. I hope not. You've seen you've seen a look into into what my soul uh, has been has been craving all my life. So <laughs> yeah, well we we liked these ones a lot. Uh, anything else? Any final thoughts? I don't think so. Um, I just uh, no. Cool. I don't know That's what else good. there is to say about these ones. They're good. good. They're iconic. They're done well. If you never saw another Venom story, you'd still understand what Venom was just from this. You know, yeah. I don't think it leaves a lot to uh like there's no big gaping <laughs> big gaping holes or anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh it, yeah it's solid it's really good stuff yeah yeah uh, we've talked a l- for a long time about this yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well in that case we'll just officially close this out where can we find you doug you can find me on twitter most of the time at icky bully i-c-k-y-b-o-o-l-e-y talking about spider-man talking about pokemon talking about survivor rupaul's drag race all kinds of stuff and uh if you enjoyed listening to this and you enjoy listening to podcasts and you enjoy pokemon stuff you can listen to uh another podcast that i am on regularly called victory road um on the four-eyed radio network how about you rad you can find me also on the twitterverse i am at Derek b gale um lots of ramblings also about spider-man uh, lots of stuff about Venom and his butt, actually, unfortunately. But uh, <laughs> Or fortunately. Or fortunately, depending on your take, depending, you know, I don't know. I don't know what our what our demographic is yet. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, lots of stuff about that. And, and other, other, other musings uh, about Power Rangers and, uh, and whatever else um, uh, treats my fancy. So uh, on that, uh, you can also find me on YouTube for my video series Second Chance, which I'm going to put it out into ether that i will have a new episode by the time this episode drops i might regret saying that now it's Uh, out there it's out there now so it's gonna have to happen um but we'll try to have another episode of that but basically it's a it's a video essay series tackling um things uh pieces of media that are usually considered divisive or or just bad or not well liked looking at them through a positive lens trying to find the merit in them um finding like kind of a a general thesis about that of why it could be good or what the intention was things like spider-man 3 for example which we've referenced a couple of times in this one you should watch it. It's really good stuff. It's really smart, too. Thank you. Yeah. I try to be smart. I like it. I am the world's current most foremost scholar on Spider-Man 3 at this time. So. That is probably true. <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, otherwise, for our podcast, you can follow Walloping Web Snappers on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. All of them are at Walloping Web Pod. Or you can email us at wallopingwebsnapperspodcast at gmail.com. Check out the show notes for some uh, links for the interviews that we've referenced and uh, links to these social media things as well. You can also support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers for some amazing perks. And coming up next time, Spidey faces not the Green Goblin, nope. but 
he does face someone in the Hobgoblin parts one and two. See you then. See ya. Wait, hold on. Doug, erase that. That didn't make sense. I was thinking of a different part. So... (laughs)